0: Love Talk Radio.
1: I think we're getting back online. We're back. We're
2: back. Okay. So finishing up my notes, when you lose to a higher-ranked team, should you move down? So if you're ranked fifth and you lose to, say, number two or number three, should that affect your fifth-place ranking? Or should that simply be – I mean, that's the way it should be, right? You should lose to that team.
3: So the lo- you're asking about the lower seed, lost to the higher seed, should the lower seed – Drop in ranking,
2: correct for losing to a higher seed. this is of course referring to college volleyball at the moment because yeah. they have the a b c a top twenty five
3: I think it depends on what the other seeds below you did in their matches and who they played okay, so if you're you five if in.
2: you're five and you lose to two and let's say six beats eight. Do you somehow yeah. move up? Does the sixth place team move above the fifth place team? Yes. Why? Because you already thought they were ranked this way. All you did was prove it. All right, you stew on that for a little while. We have we have College Football Weekly to sort that out. I'm going to get Devin Brandon's be, opinion on this as well. You have to be rewarded for your good play. Kevin. Yeah, but if you're good play is against a team that's inferior. That's the theory here, right? Because if you're the 8th place or if you're the 6th place team and you play the 8th place team, you should beat the 8th place team. Otherwise, you should be the 8th place team. I'm 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 with you on what you're saying. Okay. I hope you're with us here on the program today. We have an exciting one. We have I mean it 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 was just one guest. You can make it one of the biggest shows of the year. You only need one guest, Kevin. In this case, you only need one guest because he has two jobs. So there's a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about. We have John Spraw, head men's volleyball coach for the UCLA Bruins, as well as the national teams, USA Volleyball. So John Spraw is going to join us. He'll be on at 1030. We will get a chance to wrap up national team season with John. We'll talk to him until
3: noon. The show will be over.
2: That's right. That's right. (laughs) That will be fine. That will be a good show. John, one of those guys we could spend forever with. But we will talk to him about all things volleyball. So if you have a question for John, put it up on the chat board. We will add it to our list of questions, and we will maybe go into overtime with the show. When is John
3: – when is the moment where he's going to become a little too big time for us? Like when, like next year when they finally qualify for the Olympics? Like when is the moment where he's going to be like, you know what, guys, I'm too big time for you now? So
2: he's the higher-seeded team? He. I was thinking we were the higher-seeded team. Well, right now we are. Oh, we are. Yeah, right now for sure. <laughs> Well, if he wins a gold medal, then maybe. Maybe we'll let him do that. Okay. We'll let him kind of blow us off. Okay. But until he wins gold medal's yeah. gold medal is the only way he gets to blow this show off. We're still Williams. ranked number one. Yeah. Yeah, we are the number one podcast in the world of volleyball. <laughs> Not just the United States, the world of volleyball. Cam Kerr might have something to say about that. Hey, Cam Kerr, tell your Canadian national team comes come up with a, <laughs> a decent win. We are the number one podcast. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So we have John Spraw coming on the show today. We will talk about FIVB, of course. The Brazilian event just concluded. Interesting results there, Jeremy. I know, right? We will have women's college volleyball. We'll talk a lot about that. I think, Jeremy, you and I might talk about it a little bit as well.
3: Or you'll talk and I'll listen.
2: Yeah, but you can ask questions <laughs> because it's kind of hitting its stride. We're, yeah, we're in the sure. league play and yep. conference play, and it's, uh, there are some good matchups out there, some interesting results. How about Utah beating Cal Cal, who just took the number one team in the nation, USC, last weekend to five. So, by the associative property of volleyball, Utah pretty close to beat the number one team in the nation.
3: Every time I hear the word Utah, I want to quote point break.
2: Johnny Utah? Every single time
3: I hear Utah. Johnny Utah, I yeah. remember you. Every single time. Is that yeah. your, somebody ringing your doorbell?
2: I guess. Okay. Don't they know We're we busy. A, don't they know we have a show right now? We're busy. Maybe yeah. something's getting delivered. Maybe Amazon Prime is flowing in whatever Sweet. I ordered. Uh, but yeah a big deal for Utah. That is a fantastic movie.
3: Now somebody's knocking on your door. I I don't know what to do. Do you want me does. to get it?
2: Because I can't carry the show if you're not talking.
3: Yeah, you go ahead. We'll okay, we
2: have College Model Weekly. Deb Static will be on the program along with Brandon Rosenthal. They are going to check in, and we will talk a lot of women's college. I had an opportunity to see this past week uh, quite a few teams. I saw USC and Oregon, so number 22 ranked Oregon and USC. That was a three-set match, but a close one Two do sets in that particular matchup. And then we had also Texas. I was had an opportunity to see the number three ranked team in the nation play against Texas Tech. They took care of business there as expected, but important for them in their conference schedule to beat teams that they are expected to defeat. So Deb Static, Brandon Rosenthal will both join us coming up here shortly. And I can't wait for, for John Spraw, really. that's That's going to be the highlight of my interview day today is John Spraw and and finding out where this national team is really at. Uh, we will we will see. What is that? He's ringing the doorbell for this.
3: I had to sign for it, so hopefully it's uh hopefully it's nothing inappropriate. Sign
2: for it. This shows up in the mailbox every week. What is You <laughs> came by messenger a sudden, Kevin, it was a big deal. All of a sudden you got to sign for it. It's Big Barn Design. It's my paycheck records like Really? You gotta do what you gotta do. Really? You gotta interrupt the show for this? Ring the bell twice and have Jeremy run down.
3: I went uh I know you didn't mention this yet, but on Friday I drove to Pomona.
2: I did not mention that yet.
3: I drove to Pomona to uh watch a uh friend of the show. Her team was out here in California. Kenyon College, not near Uganda.
2: <laughs> well, they made the trip in from Africa? Yes,
3: they made the trip from Africa. I felt like I drove to Africa on a Friday, after Friday oh,
2: evening oh, to Pomona.
3: That is a terrible drive. I will say this. Traffic actually was not as bad as I thought it was going to be.
2: Yeah, but that's kind of like you you go into a situation expecting to be shot, and instead someone knifes you. And you're like, and oh, you're like oh, I didn't my, get shot. It's not that bad. <laughs> uh, but Katie Charles, it was nice to meet her in person finally.
3: I got some swag from her, some more Kenyon uh, College garb.
2: Oh, you're, you can be all purple all the yeah. time now. Actually, I am wearing a purple shirt right you now. You are, but it's not a Kenyon College shirt.
3: That's true, but don't say that out loud. So how was that match? It was didn't go the way Kenyon College wanted it to go. To tell you that. <laughs> yeah, they Actually, they should have won Game 1 and Game 2. Um, kind of gave them away a little bit, and then uh, Game 3 was a little bit of a smashing. A smashing? Yeah. Okay. But here's what I didn't know about Kenyon College. That all the kids that go there are basically like lawyers and doctors and
2: really really smart people, so. So that means they're not good athletes.
3: Not known. I don't. I don't think it necessarily means that at all. I just think it means that it's expensive to go to that school, so you only you know you can only, get so many you know athletes. How many athletes you are going to get there because it's expensive to go there? Sounds like Pepperdine.
2: Yeah. Pepperdine sixty one thousand dollars a year. Yeah.
3: It's not easy to do. Uh, no. But I haven't seen um, the. I will say this about Kenny College, even though like they weren't really in the matching game. Three like they were never and haven't had a good season for that matter. I looked at their record, but they uh, they kept fighting. There was no like, oh we're just gonna lose. I'll just like kind of they were in it till the end. I like that. I respect that a lot. So it was nice to meet Katie.
2: Yeah, I see Katie at convention every year. Yep. I see her on the chat board right now. So uh, I'm surprised that they're back already. that's a long trip to get back to Africa from (laughs) from Southern California. Business class. (laughs) Yes, Jay Hasek, $61,000 a year for Pepperdine. You want to have some notion of what higher education has done, admittedly a private university, but still. It had just crossed 30 when I was there. Last year I was there was 1997, 96, 97. So we're talking about 16 years. That's a fair amount of time. But not to double to go to $61,000 a year.
3: Whew. A lot of people don't even come close to making that in their job a year.
2: Pre-tax? Yeah. Yeah. Sixty-one grand for your kid to go to college. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okie dokie. But while I was at Pepperdine, I had a very Pepperdine moment in the parking lot changing clothes <laughs> in between. Oh, because I was there all day. I'm not going to wear my suit all day. I'm with you. So I'm up there, and I'm down in the parking lot changing clothes. girl walks by me, walks down, 10 more cars. Hops in. I hear the car rev up. I'm like, huh? It's a strange exhaust note. Turn around. It is the four plus four Ferrari in deep candy red. No plates even on it yet. Student. Student at Pepperdine. Yes. Driving a Ferrari. Yes. Student. <sighs> Female student. You've seen the Porsche Panamera? Uh, yeah, four-seater. yeah. yeah. Four seater. Nice yep. big four seater. This is the Ferrari version. It's only a couple hundred thousand dollars. Student car. So but what you're saying is that's our parents, pepperdine for you. Her parents can afford the sixty-one thousand dollars a year. Yeah, they're they're just like eh, okay. Here's they might your... they might write the check once, forget they wrote it, and write it again. Here's your Ferrari. Yeah. Take it to school today. Yeah. Well, not today for the whole year. Here's mm. your Ferrari. That's pepperdine for you right there. Unbelievable. KCVB saying it's about the same there. Range Rover dealership. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, it's okay. I just need richer parents. That's all. <laughs> Let's talk about people getting rich playing volleyball. How about that? I'm into it. People are having success in Brazil. The home side won. USA did pretty pretty good. But a surprising result on the men's side.
4: Surprising.
2: And perhaps now controversial. <laughs> I love
3: it. Just so everybody knows, Kevin has been stirring up some uh,
2: things just for, just
3: for uh, fodder on the show, maybe? Rosie? If Rosie? If Rosie, Sean Rosenthal could not play in Brazil because he hurt his back. Correct. And I think he hurt it fairly last minute. So Casey Jennings stepped in to play with Phil Dahlhauser.
2: So Casey Jennings, twice off the couch, so far a win and a silver.
3: I don't think off the couch, but just for, for the show, we'll say
2: that. Well, he's taking care of the kids, so maybe he's out of the kitchen and the poopy diapers, straight into <laughs> volleyball. Just straight into side. siding out like a god is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have to figure. No, I'm with you. I would work on Casey all day long if I'm... Playing Phil and Casey, I would serve Casey all day. So Casey must have performed.
3: Casey Jennings and Phil Dahlhauser got the silver
2: in Brazil. They lost to Salgado and Schmidt.
3: They were the the 18th seed. Yeah. And I also believe, I read something, and don't quote me on this, um, but Carey and April, who also won, were ranked 10th or higher. um, And it's the first time that. Anybody tenth seated tenth? Yeah. Karen April were seated tenth. Um first time that they had made a finals ranked
2: tenth. The or tenth higher. place team had made it. Correct. Yeah, but see that's this is a weird situation. You took two medalists, two medal teams from the Olympics just last year, two teams that have won tournaments this year. Right? And it's weird to me just like split them up. And I don't know all the points, obviously, but
3: it shows Brittany and Lauren as the 15th seed, um, Fatma Sweat were the 12th seed. Like I don't know what all the points were, how they figure these out, because those seem really low. I wonder, you would have to think that Carrie and April have a lot of points. And even Casey Jennings has points, and you know Phil does too.
2: I don't know how points combine, though. I mean, for the women's side of things, we've talked about the fact that it has not been a good season for USA women. Correct. On the beach. Correct. Uh, there were only two medals at one point. Correct, and this is a couple of tournaments ago. So maybe this makes three medals. Uh, we'd go back and do some math, but it, it was not a really good season. It was not the kind of dominance that we saw with Misty and Carrie playing, and with April and Jen playing well. And um, it, it's a it's a different situation than we've had for the last four or five years.
3: Yeah, well, I keep telling people this. Like people are panicking about the Olympics already. Like this year, I don't want to say it's a wash, but it's not a telltale sign of what's going to happen.
2: In Rio, no, it means nothing. It's like the indoor time.
3: I don't know if it means nothing. It means nothing as in like we can predict who's going to be in the Olympics. I think it it helps these teams like the reason why Kerry and April are together right now is so they can get the ball rolling before the season starts next year.
2: The fact that Phil Rosenthal or phil rosenthal <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. the fact that uh that Rosenthal and Jennings are going to draw straws. Or maybe have a mono and mono. Yeah, steel cage match. Steel cage match to see who gets to partner with Phil. Who gets to play with Phil. Uh, means nothing right now. The first, the first year, it's not that important. And I, I kind of raised the issue of do you, if you have success, Phil's Phil, automatically just going to drop Rosie. You drop Rosie and go to Casey. You know, I, I raised that just to be funny and for us to have something to talk about. Yeah, Re- realistically speaking, if you're Phil, the first year of your partnership. You're going to stick with Rosie because you think that that's it. I think after two years, just like the indoor teams start to change their philosophy, change their focus after two years, if things don't go well next year or or as they expect things to go, they're not going as well as Phil and Rosie would like, then I think change is more likely.
3: I will say this, though. I guarantee you, Casey Jennings was like, hey, Phil, I mean, you
2: know, we did pretty good. Just let me know.
3: I know you have my number. Just let me know if you want to play. You know,
2: I'm in. Just let me know. Sounds like me and some of the broadcasting gigs I do. I sub in for somebody and be like, hey, you let me know when you need those exactly. Stuff. And I'm I don't know.
3: Up for this? Yeah, and I don't know what Rosie's uh, back injury means for the ABP Huntington Beach this weekend. I don't know if he's good enough to
2: play. I don't know. I haven't heard. So we'll see. All players making their way back to play in Huntington Beach this week. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah. The Brazil trip not bad. Just a long trip, but the time li- the timeline for the whole time. thing is not like going to Europe or going to Asia. Correct. That's awful. Anytime you're going straight down the globe, if you're going around that way, you're going down to Argentina, Brazil, yeah. Venezuela, Mexico. Even if you're out in the Caribbean, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's three hours or something or four hours or five, but it's it's not the gnarly nine hours upside down. If that's their
3: only trip all year, it might be a bigger deal, but the fact that they're going overseas and China and all that stuff like this to them, probably like, oh, that's I I can handle that. Quite easy. Yeah. I also would like to point out that Nick Lucena and Ryan Doherty got a fifth.
2: That might be the more interesting of the
3: potential future partnerships. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, Jake Gibb and Casey Patterson also got a fifth as well. Lucena Doherty
2: in fifth. Who were the 20th seed, by the way. So what do you do if you're Ryan Doherty right now? You've been playing with the professor. Correct. Things have been wildly up and down. I don't think really up. What's their best finish this year is the question. I, I will effort here for a moment. Well, the ABP, they got a second in Salt Lake City. A bit, a bit, a bit. Easy, buddy. I don't want to hear about that. I'm talking about internationally. <laughs> internationally. Who cares about ABP at this moment as far as this discussion is concerned? <laughs> I love the way you say that because people could read into that
3: differently than how you actually mean it.
2: Well, they could read into it that I don't like A V P. That's not true. Yes, that is not what you're saying. What I'm saying is I'm interested in the... For Olympic stuff. Yeah. We're, I'm with you. Come on. No, I know what you're saying. I know. People like controversy, though. Same, Correct. Same reason I would bring up... Uh, same reason you're <laughs> dumping uh, Rosie after one tournament. <laughs> exactly. <Casey Jenner>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly the same reason. So, oh, wait, I'm looking up the wrong guy here. Gee, what is... Hopefully you're not on FIVB.com because it's the worst. Uh, no, because then I would just have to quit the show and spend the next hour and a half on the website. Trying to figure it out. Here, I can actually find something out more quickly. Thank you, BVB Info, very much for being in business. I appreciate it. <laughs> this makes life a little easier. Although there's still a lot of, almost too much info on here I, for yeah. me. You just have to decipher it a little bit. Okay, so 2013, I only see AVP here. Here's F I B B. there we go. Played 10, best finish a 5th, other finish 9th. 5th this year? Yeah, this is, and it probably includes the one here. So ninth would I would guess Nine, ninth with Todd would be his best finish with Todd. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the results for those two guys. Seventeenth, thirty third. That's not good. Seventeenth, twenty fifth. Seventeenth. If I'm reading this correctly, seventeenth, seventeenth, ninth, twenty fifth. And then you. I, I'm dumping the professor. If I'm Ryan Daugherty and I go out and pull a fifth with Nick Lucena, yep. I'm given serious consideration to skipping class. <laughs> good one. I uh, I was auditing your class, and now I'm no longer uh, in the all, class.
3: I have all the information I need. I'm, I'm gonna, good to go.
2: I'm filling out my drop card right now. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I think that's a no-brainer to me. I, and that would be the end for Todd, you think? No. T- Todd will keep playing. Is Todd, at the end of, has Todd won his last tournament? That's a better question.
3: I don't know. Todd can still win a tournament. How about that?
2: Well, could and will are two different things. Correct. I could still win a tournament. I will not. No, you could not. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest. No, That's true. Your that's knees, correct. you could not. That's correct.
3: You okay. may be able to block everybody on the beach, apparently, according to you.
2: No, I could side out. I could never block. Oh, okay. I could definitely still side out. Gotcha. That's my game.
3: Gotcha. Um. Like anything, it depends on your partnership. But I do yeah. think that Todd will be able to partner with somebody at least next year. You know, you have a few guys. Like you have Theo out there, um, Triborn still out there. I mean, you have those guys who Todd still sides out. One of the best side out players in the world. I mean, he's. It's not like, and he has the resume for it. Yeah. It's just a matter of who is going to be available. Because it didn't work with him and Ryan. They would both say that. I, I haven't spoke to either one of them about it, but I guarantee you they both would say that.
2: Especially one, after one the ninth, results. One ninth and a bunch of 17th, that's not working to the level that, that Ryan expects and Todd is used to.
3: I think um, Ryan was processing a lot of information from Todd. And then you could see it on the court, like, Ryan, instead of just playing, right. was thinking the entire time. Um, which I believe is difficult to do because your reaction time is less. You're like, okay, where am I supposed to be right now? Oh, I'm supposed to be here. All of a sudden, the ball is past you.
2: You cannot think the game. That is true. Um, While you're doing it, I think it's difficult.
3: You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I need to be right here right now. As opposed to like instinctually, you know you need to be there because you've practiced that. You can't practice while you're playing, if that makes sense. Correct. Um,
2: You have to flow. When people talk about being in the zone... That just means that everything's flowing. Nothing Correct. is a struggle. Correct. They're referring to the flow of the skills, the reading of the game, the playing of whatever. That's that's in the zone.
3: And I think uh, Ryan, because he's so new to the game, still has to think a lot. But having to do that during a match is difficult. So it's almost like he needs to just just he, it, during a match, he just needs to play. He just needs to have fun. Just needs to play, and you will fix other things. And practice right. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, there's going to be.
2: But if every time you step on the floor, it feels like a final exam, that's not it's good
3: for sure. Or Absolutely,
2: the, or the sand floor sand. And road. if
3: you're Todd, I mean, you're, you're you've played at a high level. He's seventy plus victories um, in his career. Like you can expect a lot more. Um, yeah, you know, I remember talking to. Fanoi when he was getting close to his career and people were like, well, why don't you pick up a younger guy, you know, and extend your career a little longer? But Fanoi just didn't want to teach somebody. He's like, I, I'll just worry about my game. I don't want to have to worry about somebody else's game. And that, you know, that's what Todd's doing. He's playing and teaching Ryan at the same time. Right. And you know, having to worry about that as well. So that's that's a lot going on right there for sure. That is.
2: And I wonder. I mean, yeah, you want to play. You want to continue playing. I- I don't fault anyone for continuing to play. I hate the argument of what are they doing to their, their legacy? Well, who cares? What do you mean, what are you doing to your legacy? No one cares what you we all It's want.
3: your own deal. Like, yeah, we all want that storybook ending. You won the Super Bowl, you won the gold medal, you just walk off into the sunset. Yeah, I don't know why that's the ideal. Because people who can't play think like, oh, that makes for really the good story or that's gonna be the movie ending.
2: People are stupid.
3: Well, yes. Because
2: What if you close a giant business deal, do you then just quit? You're like, oh. Yeah, I'm out. I'm going out on top. I'm not going to do any more business deals. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. That's it. That's it for me. (laughs) I just signed a giant client. I'm out of here. (laughs) It makes no sense in the rest of life.
3: I say, you know, when all these football players or basketball players, whatever, even boxers. Boxers are a little bit more scary, but... You play as long as you can. Because until, yep. once your body says we can't do it anymore, there's nothing you can do. You could be the smartest. Like Michael Jordan still thinks he could go out there and play basketball. And he can. He couldn't play an
2: 82-game NBA season. Because right. physically he could not. Mentally, absolutely. Listen, I can step back on the court tomorrow. And I can play at a level that's higher than 99% of the world. Correct. Period. But I can only do it for... Tomorrow tomorrow. One, one set <laughs> yeah. yeah tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> That's it. And then I'm done. Uh, but that that part, that competitor, that belief really never leaves you.
3: Oh, of course. Why would it? You've been doing that your whole life. So what are you doing over there with cords? Now you're well, sharing me. Now you're like coming into my zone. You have things you're gonna plug in. I need these things. Do you have a pair of those? No. Son of a god. I mean I could do you need it right now? No. You have some audio to play. I just, I was trying to have some fun. We can have fun. I can take that out, just like that. Kevin. What? Just like that? Okay. Well, we'll You're not going. getting any audio from
2: me at that point. Well, I
3: don't.
2: I don't here. Well, I'm not ready though. Well, I mean, we're we're doing this show on the fly here. And Kevin, I'm almost ready. I Just wanted
3: to let everybody know, Kevin's about to plug some audio into the show, and I don't know what it is, so I uh, don't accept any responsibility for what he's about to do.
2: Well, I just find it funny that we've gone through the early part of the show. We're gonna have John Sprawn here in just a couple of minutes and we have we have already hit two of the biggest pop culture movies around. Point break. Point break. And oh boy. And Matt Gardhoff. <laughs> he was he was hitting uh Top Gun. Yes. So I thought we might we might have a little fun.
3: With some of this, and I'm extremely nervous right now. I'm not gonna lie to you.
2: I don't know if people remember that Roach, you know, he picked a knife fight with someone who was a little bit better, and they found his body. And you know, people talk- people died, Bodie. <laughs> Still talking
3: Point Break, everybody. People died,
2: kind of like my iPhone right now, 'cause it's got iOS 7 on it and it's a four. It's dying, constantly. Caught my first tube today, sir.
3: <laughs> Terrible, terrible, terrible. That's one of those things where it's so bad, it's good.
2: Right. We talked about that. I forget what it was a couple of weeks ago that we talked about it. it. was exactly that. So bad, it's good. And that's possible. we ever had a volleyball team that's so bad, they're good? I don't know if it works in sports. <laughs> Who's winless right now in the NFL still, the Giants? Are they so bad that they're good? No. <laughs> it's not really possible in sports, is it? It's possible for film. You can make a film that is so bad...
3: Sharknado. Never saw it, but...
2: That's deliberately bad. Yeah, they went into that on purpose. Right. Yeah. This this movie was not deliberately bad. Point Break.
3: Are you going to deliver on this audio thing that you're messing with right now, or...? This is YouTube
2: and iOS 7, my man. This is not... This is not me. I mean, the chat board is just... They can't wait. Heavy
1: rains will continue into the night. Nice. Destructive winds reaching up to 150 kilometers.
2: piano's already got the long hair here. Yeah.
1: You know, he's
2: taking on the surfer light. This is the end of the movie. Yeah. He's driving up Bells Beach, I believe, in Australia. Just waiting on my set. It's raining. Yep. Just waiting you, on my set. You are just waiting on Bro, I've set. seen this movie a lot. This is Phil Etherton's all-time favorite film. It's 2004 Olympian Phil Etherton. They're
3: apparently doing a remake of
2: it. Now, Striker Salesman. Well, they'll do a remake of everything. Robocop is coming back. Obviously. This is this is fantastic. Bodie's just down here. He's got a towel on over a wetsuit. Not sure why. It's pouring rain. Pouring rain. He's wearing like a jean jacket. Jeans and boots walking out onto the beach. There's about ten guys here. You can tell them it's all closed out. Nobody been
1: out there. No one's been out. No one's going out. It's going to be fucking crazy, man. Death on a stick out there,
2: mate. Another, another F-bomb for the show? Death on a stick out there, mate. <laughs> Death on a stick. This is happening right now, everybody. I mean, there's a bunch of old guys here who look like a bunch of fishermen just watching Bell's Beach. It's one of the all timers, man. If you have a Saturday night, you have nothing else to do, you should be streaming Point Break or Top Gun, because Top Gun is equally cheesy good. That's right. Nice, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, it like that delivery. That's stilted delivery. Here's Hi. Bodie. He's got a towel on. Why do you have a towel on? He's standing halfway into the surf. And now we throw out. He's keeping himself warm, bro. It's the Nixon mask. Oh, no, it's Reagan. Yeah, he was the lead. That's, that'd be a good, good, uh, trigger question. Bro. Bruh.
1: Special agent Utah. I knew I could count on you.
2: By the way, Spraw is on the line right now. He's
1: listening to I've you playing Alright,
2: let's take a quick break. We'll be right we back. Be
1: Missed you by Roxy. about a week in Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> with somebody better.
2: Missed you by about a week in Fiji. Nice. You're nice. welcome, Benet everybody. Live. We'll be right back in a moment with John Sproff. Oh, jeez, my phone just hit the deck. That's your fault. You thought it was broken before. Now it's really her fault. Not my fault. <laughs> you not like my nine-year-old. That <laughs> wasn't me. That no. wasn't me. National team head coach. We were playing... Uh, we're playing point break. We'll be right back then at last. Awesome.
3: called Trojans and UCLA head coach coming on. That's, I apologize. He might have Trojans in his head. I don't know. He might be... I apologize. I completely apologize. It won't ever happen again.
2: I love the update on the chat board on the Manzi Davis nuptials, the pending nuptials between uh, Sean and Nicole. First, let's just give congratulations to Sean for reaching out to Nicole. We gave him props Who said on the show she was single. Yeah. And Sean's like, hello. <laughs> hey Yeah. 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 So, uh, i down gentle. And good for Nicole to respond and give him the brush off. Gen- the, the gentle set down. And we were, you know, talking describe. about Nicole. She was
3: a Trojan, so that song worked for her.
2: Yeah. How All right. That? All right. Hit Wasn't... some music for a, a, anything with a kind of a light blue kind of pansy looking <laughs> bear. I don't, I don't bear. have any. <laughs> kind of a wimpy looking. I mean, who? What teddy bear wears like a bow tie and stuff? Does he wear a bow tie?
3: When I DJ uh, the basketball games, yeah. Joe Bruin, uh, yeah. He's wearing basketball shorts and they have a little slit in the back for his little nub tail to stick out, uh, you can just, just you can take it from there. You
2: know, in a mascot fight, this school is not doing well. In our Battle of the Mascots, the, the Bruin is not doing well. But this coach is doing well, so we'll give him the props. Forget the stupid mascot. They might want to go for an update, although it hasn't worked for the Jaguars. I don't know. This guy has three national championships at UC Irvine as a coach. He had a national championship, one, maybe two, I can't remember, with UCLA as a player. One of the few guys to do that. He had multiple job offers after his performance at UC Irvine, building that program from nothing to a dominant force. Normal people take one of those possible job offers. John Spraw is no normal person. He decided, I will take them all. So he is now head coach at UCLA, as well as the men's national team, just completed his first season with both programs, finishing up national team play this summer with a victory and qualification for the Grand Champions Cup, which will happen in November. Welcome in for a debriefing of 2012-2013, John Spraw.
0: Hey, guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. John,
2: thanks for uh, giving us some time here. We know you have a couple of things you could probably be doing otherwise.
0: That's right. It's been a busy, busy summer, but I had a chance to take a little week off. Paul Spittle. I don't know if you remember Paul Spittle played outside hitter for me at Irvine. He got married last week up in McCall, Idaho, so I took a week and did a little fishing, stared at some trees. I'm I'm back and ready to go, so this is perfect.
1: Wow,
2: nice. So you did have a little bit of time. I was wondering about that. Just the transition back to UCLA, how's your footwork? Did you get off the net, and are you now back on the net, ready to attack?
0: Well, I was in the middle, so I was used to being real quick and trans, Barney. Plus, I was small, so I had to be quick. And so, yeah, I'm used to that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's all—it's. I'm actually feeling way better than I thought I'd feel, to be quite honest. I thought I might be burning out a little bit at this point, but I'm feeling pretty good. So it's good.
2: Awesome. So this will be year two at UCLA. Uh, how excited are you to get back and continue to kind of put your stamp on the program?
0: I'm really excited about it. I think we're a better team. Uh, we haven't started official practice yet, but you're allowed to go one day a week. And so we've been in the gym, and we, we recruited really well. we got some new guys that are already contributing. And I think where we were day one a year ago from where we are day one this year is just we've traveled miles. And so I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited about the direction we're going, and uh, I know we're getting better. I still think, you know, in terms of where we really want to go long term, I think any time you take over a program, it takes four or five years to really get it where you ideally want it. Uh, I think that's no different here, but um, I'm excited about year two, I, and mostly I'm excited about sleeping in my own bed, because I was sleeping in a hotel room the entire summer, so that that actually is probably the
2: best part. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I didn't realize you were staying down with the national team. That would be quite the commute to go up and down the floor Yeah, five.
0: yeah the I was five. either commute or stay in a hotel, and I chose the hotel option, which, you know, actually wasn't terrible, but it is nice to be back, and... Kind of focused on one job, obviously. We're doing a little double duty now because uh, we qualify for the Grand Champions Cup, as you mentioned, and uh, we're, we're working hard, getting ready for that, too. But for the most part, Mike Wall, Matt Furbringer, Anton Willard, my staff are taking care of the game plans and getting all that prepared. So uh, I'm basically up here at UCLA full-time right now and, and just getting the Bruins going.
2: So Furbringer, in between winning tournaments, is actually still doing some work? That is an unbelievable story.
0: i'm sure you guys talked about it at length i that is you know i don't know if you knew this or not but we actually i decided it was such a great story that everybody needed to hear that i actually interviewed him in front of the team and talked a little bit about what happened and how that occurred and what he went through and and how he managed that moment and going through that tournament i mean how does that happen that's like a guy coming out of retirement and winning the masters just because he decided to play randomly for a weekend. You know, it's, that that to me is an amazing story and it was a really, really great interview. And we actually recorded it. One of these days I should actually put that online. Awesome.
2: Yeah, it's it's almost more compelling than the side out storyline.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's way Yeah, that's real life.
2: Exactly. Who's Peter Weller or Peter Horton in that? in this one, I wonder. I don't know.
0: Yeah. John, you don't have
2: you don't have enough hair for Peter Horton.
0: Small, well, well, Not even close.
2: <laughs> well, let me keep you on UCLA for a second. Yeah, I I want to get back to the national team and Ferbs and stuff. That was a ridiculous story. I, I, we talked about it here, and we told them, we said, great, you just wrote the best volleyball story in history. It's, uh, cool. Forget the rest, forgetting the movies or anything. That's going to be a, a one for the ages. But at, at cool. UCLA, you have this second year. You have a couple of interesting talents back. Robert Page interests me. He's going to be a senior. He's seven feet tall. You had him hitting outside last year. Is that going to continue? How many changes that we're going to see in your lineup this year it seemed like last year you were searching for about the first half of the year
0: well that's totally true I actually I don't think I've ever coached a team that's improved more over a single year than the team we had last year I mean the guys were just remarkable in terms of what they were able to accomplish Um, so I, I think there's first of all we have a bunch of new faces that are going to contribute and so it's going to be just like any challenge that a coach has about just trying to find his best six and trying to put the best team together on the court and, and whether or not, you know, what we did last year with Paige was he was playing opposite early and then we put him in an outside hitter position because he hit a little bit better on the left and then took an outside hitter who hit pretty well on the right and put him at opposite and had him pass. And that was that was just me trying to find out what was putting everybody in the position where they were at their best and, and what their strengths were. And this year, because we have so many new faces and guys that are already pushing some of the veterans, I I don't know exactly what, decisions we'll have to make once we get into training and figure out what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are. I, I could see us having a very different lineup. Um, everybody worked really, really hard in the off season. Some guys are significantly stronger. I, it'll, it'll be quite a battle. I think it'll be fun. I think it's uh, we're going to have a real deep team, and guys are really hungry because I think we finished the year – Feeling like we were one of the best teams, and uh, not getting an opportunity to play for a national championship was disappointing for many of the guys. And uh, I think they want a shot again this year. I think they'll have a good. I think they'll have a good opportunity. We'll see. I, I know that a lot of other teams are better too. So we'll just have to see once we get out there how everyone looks.
2: You mentioned the new incoming class, and I wonder: is men's volleyball headed the way of women's volleyball, where you have such incredible underclass dominance? I mean, I think of Jordan Burgess at Stanford, who's in only her second year. Uh, Ebony Wanaboo, Samantha Bricio, both at USC, who I saw recently and yeah. their performance last year and this year as freshmen. It, is men's volleyball going that way, or do these guys usually take a little bit longer to develop?
0: Yeah, I think they take a little bit longer to develop. Some of the guys, I think, with some of the most upside are are still growing, still super thin. I mean, you look at a guy like Oliver Martin, who we signed, and you know we signed him. He was six foot seven. He's now six foot ten, and he's still growing. And you know he's pretty fluid guy and and he's in the weight room I'm watching him he's got a long way to go you know those guys that are still growing they take a long time to kind of develop Um, so I think some of those guys will take a little bit of time we do have some young guys that are going to come in and contribute right away I think and I think there's just general ebbs and flows of that Barney I think you know sometimes you get some great classes and some teams that need some help and that all works where you get a bunch of freshmen that get out there on the court earlier in their career it doesn't always happen like that I I think it could happen with us, but we also have a number of seniors out of back. So um, I think it, last year was a good class overall. I think a bunch of teams got some good players. I know some other teams went out and got some foreign athletes too, so that's always interesting to see who teams pick up from overseas. Uh, it's a it's a risky venture, but if you get it right, obviously we got it right with Kevin Tilly when we were at Irvine. It can have a tremendous impact. And so you know, it'll be interesting to see what these other teams picked up too.
2: What's your, your reaction to the UOP situation with UOP getting rid of their team?
0: You know, it's it, it's tragic is what it is. It's frustrating. I don't know that there was, once that decision was made, I don't know that there was anything anybody could have done about it. You know, I mean, I think everybody wrote letters and, and they signed petitions and I think they worked really hard trying to do it and the other day it didn't happen. I don't know. You know, I know that uh, a lot of, people called and knew Ted Leland and the people involved and I think we all felt like when Ted was at Stanford, he was a friend of volleyball. I think he was actually on the board of directors of USA Volleyball maybe at one point. He was. Yeah, okay. So here's an AD who's making this decision and really what it was, I think it came down to is what the president wanted to do. And You know, can a, a volleyball community influence a university president? I think it was a challenge once they'd made that decision to go that direction. So Yeah, it's disappointing. You know, obviously we had a little bit of growth with Cal Baptist adding, and so you think, gosh, maybe we're growing a little bit. I don't know. We're just always going to have to fight for growth because you never know on the back end if you're going to lose anybody either. So we just got to keep growing. we just got to keep working. And, uh, you know, Conference Carolinas is a nice addition for us, I think. Kind of makes things a little confusing with the Final Four, but uh, I think that's a good thing for volleyball. And we'll just have to keep finding other schools because, you know, it may not be the last. So we gotta make sure we keep it's like recruiting. Gotta keep recruiting because you never know who you're gonna lose along the way. So we just gotta keep working at it. You know, the sports growing at a youth level, we just gotta keep working at the, the top level to get more teams.
2: What do you think the effect will be on the MPSF construction? Good article by Vinny Loebson off the block speaking about the travel partner arrangement that used to be in place between UOP and Stanford, and now Stanford kind of mm-hmm. feeling like they're on an island. What effect yeah. do you think? UOP, the dropping of UOP will have on Stanford and the way that the conference is put together?
0: You know, that's just going to come down to scheduling. I don't think long-term it's going to have that big of an impact on Stanford. Um, I don't know. I actually have never talked to Costi about it, but maybe he has a viewpoint that I don't um, I don't see. But, um, you know, in terms of the schedule, I don't know. We'll send it to the schedule. We'll figure it out. I mean, we'll figure it out. It's It's actually probably not that complicated. It, it, maybe it is, but, you know, we'll hire somebody to do it. <laughs> you know, we'll put it all together and we'll all go play. I mean, the, the truth is that I was kind of, when Hawaii moved to the Big West, I was really hoping we could split the conference and the Big West could actually sponsor men's volleyball. Of course, then UOP left the Big, the Big West to go to the West Coast Conference, so that was no longer possible. But And, of course, now they dropped. But... There was a point there where I was thinking, gosh, if the Big West could actually sponsor men's volleyball, if they could get one more team, and they still could, you know, I mean, Cal State Fullerton makes a whole lot of sense in Orange County. Pretty inexpensive sport. They just have some budget issues. If they could ever get those resolved, I don't know if they could or not, but that'd be a great spot. You, you ought, we have to somehow get the Big West to sponsor men's volleyball, and then and then split the MPSF out, and then it makes it a heck of a lot easier to schedule the MIVA and the EIVA. The big challenge we have right now, I mean, uh, those those conferences really would like to play us more and then we'd like to play them, but now the way it's scheduled, we have very, very few free weekends to go and do that. And so, you know, if we could do that, if we could somehow rearrange the schedule so we could go and compete a little bit more back east and have some more out-of-conference matches, that would be great. I mean, that, that, I guess that's really the, the long-term hope
2: why or or what would be the positive aspect of a place like Nebraska or Texas or some of these other big schools? Those are my thoughts for expansion. This is a, a place where you have a volleyball community already. I bet at Nebraska, if you had a legit men's team, you would get attendance. Yeah. you could actually perhaps have positive ticket sales and positive uh a positive budget line item if you had a men's team there cost versus yeah. uh, attendance. Is there any push to get those universities that have such successful women's programs onto the men's side?
0: Not that I've heard. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. I think the big challenge you have is that from a regionalization perspective, if you start a team in Texas, you're going to an athletic director and you're talking about having a pretty immense travel budget because, you know, some teams may fly to play you, but for the most part you're going to be on the road. They're going to be flying all over the place every weekend. And so, um, I think that's probably a factor. Of course, the factor is always Title IX, so going to football schools in general is always a challenge. Uh, I think that's why a place like Cal Baptist, which doesn't have a football program or any of the Big West schools that don't have football programs, is attractive for us in terms of like a target market for us to to expand. But, yeah, I think you're right. It would be fun if we could have somebody that really would push that. At the end of the day, I think where you have growth is where you have some connection some athletic director whose son plays volleyball, Some something's got to be there where there's some personal relationship and some personal motivation to do that and make that happen. I mean, Ir- Irvine was no different. I mean, back in the day when Irvine was getting founded and getting cut and getting founded and getting cut again, the guy that made that happen was Bob Newcomb. He was the first coach at Santa Barbara, and he had come down to UC Irvine as a professor of statistics. And it was his mission to get UC Irvine as a Division I men's volleyball program, and he's responsible for doing that. And he was there; he was a pit bull. He made it happen. And I think anytime you have a situation like that, you have to have somebody there who's so passionate about making it happen at that particular school that they're going to get it done. And I we need to find more people like that. He's he's unique. He's the reason UC Irvine is there, and uh, everybody recognizes in the conference uh, how valuable his efforts were in making that happen.
2: Interesting. You need to have an insider who will advocate for it. Do you think the national team has, and their success or failure, has any bearing whatsoever on collegiate volleyball?
0: Uh, Maybe long-term. You know, I I, I don't think directly. You know, I don't think an athletic director is watching us win the gold medal in 2008 and thinking, you know what, forget Title IX, I'm starting a men's volleyball program. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he's not doing that. But I think there's a lot of young boys out there that are watching that and they're they're thinking about what they're doing and they're maybe being inspired. People get inspired by watching television and championships and winning. Um, you know, when I was at Irvine, I, Dan McDonald, who served the ace to win the national championship in 2012, we were recruiting him and he had turned us down. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He was playing volleyball, at club volleyball at University of Arizona. He was pre-med, thinking about going to med school. He's from Arizona. Decided he didn't want to come. We're okay. You know, no problem. And then we go and win the national championship. He's watching it on TV, and he calls me the next day and goes, I changed my mind. I want to come. And then two years, you know, three years later, he's winning us a championship with a serve. And, you know, I think young men, boys, they're at home, they're watching, they can be inspired by the way a team plays. And how they carry themselves and, and winning. And, you know, maybe maybe somewhere there's some young kid who's thinking about playing volleyball or his sister's playing volleyball or his buddy's playing volleyball, he's never played, and he's watching Clay Stanley win a gold medal in 2008. Maybe he's playing because of that right now. I don't know. I'd like to think so, and uh, certainly that's our hope.
2: Hey, listen to Net Live. We're talking to UCLA men's head coach and USA men's national team head coach, John Spraw. John, let me take you out of the national team, first year with that program. Give me a grade for you and your staff on the year so far.
0: Oh, wow. Staff, absolute A. We were put in a pretty challenging situation just getting hired late, um, having to hire staff. Furbringer and Gary Moy. Carried a pretty big load. Gary was our our administrator at Anaheim. Carried a pretty big load early trying to get everything organized. Uh, We were able to hire uh, Anton Willard. He came in in May, and and Mike Wall came in, and uh, I think his official hire date was maybe July 1st. So we didn't really get fully staffed until July. And so that was the challenge. I think we did a real nice job of trying to get everything organized, everything from the format of the game plan in Excel <laughs> needed to be redone. <laughs> and You know, we just it took a ton and communicated with all the athletes and figure out what our rosters were. And, and every time you get a new job, you got to figure out what the – even administratively, how things work. Write down to the paperwork you need to fill out for trips. You know, all those things just need to get figured out for the first time. And so the staff absolutely did an A. Uh, I think looking back on the team, um, I think – Well, especially considering the result at the end, I'd have to say it was an A this year, too. Uh, We did a lot. I mean, we took a lot of chances. We took a a look at a lot of different guys. We decided we were going to rest some veterans. I think all those decisions in the end worked out pretty well. Maybe not flawlessly, but pretty well. I think Reed feels real good after taking some time off. Uh, He certainly played like it. He's playing – Reed is playing some of the best volleyball I've ever seen him play. And – that's really nice to see in a guy who's been playing as long as he has, and he he looked fresh and he looked positive and enthusiastic, and uh, that was he was a real nice contribution, really nice contribution for us uh, at NorSeca, and then you ca- you're combining you take a look at a bunch of different setters. We took a look at basically three new setters this year, two new opposites, a new libero. Uh, we have some veteran play in in the middle, but we even took a look at Fuji Tavana. So we were taking a look at a new middle at uh, We're taking a long look at a bunch of different outsides, Garrett Malangatia, uh Tony Chiarelli, Jeff Menzel. I mean, these these guys all came in and were playing significant minutes for us in the World League and in norsica And You know, we still had some veterans with Rooney and Reed and David Lee. And, you know, we had, we had some guys that have been through some matches, there's no question. Um, but I think in general you look at just what we were able to do, who we were able to look at, but the broad-based view we were able to see um, and kind of get a feel for where we need to go over the next four years. I feel really, really good about it. That, that win at the end, Barney, I know you know how important that was. I think most people don't oh, know yeah. a whole a whole lot about Norseka. You know, they, they spend their time thinking about World League or World Champs or World Cup or Olympics. You know, they think about those big four things. And at the end of the day, the most important tournament you have is the Olympic qualifier in 2016. That Norseka zone is the most important. Gotta get, gotta get that win. And I think for us to go in in this summer, taking as much chance as we did, looking at young guys, talking about some new things, talking about how to be a great team, uh, bringing in a new staff—that's always a change—and uh, then to come out with a win over Canada in Canada, I thought was very significant for us. And uh, the opportunity, obviously, to go and play in Grand Champions when we didn't really get an opportunity to play in in the world league finals and play some of these top teams again is really valuable. And so I'm excited, really excited about what we're able to do this summer and uh, the direction that we're going. I feel good. I think the team feels good. And I think they should feel good.
2: Did you feel like world league was sort of a missed opportunity?
0: Uh, you know, yes and no. I mean, it, it was because we just, I don't know. I, I still think about that Poland match you know when we're at Poland right. and we're playing in Spotic and you have some swings for the match at four and, and you know I, just, I think about that and how that would have changed things you know that could have potentially put us in the final right um, and so obviously you get close you get that close and you think to yourself man yeah of course I think about it um
1: was I think it, was, job,
0: it was it was it was interesting because you go into it you think you have no expectations then you go four and one and all of a sudden you're thinking, gosh right. we can do it and then all of a sudden you don't and all you know it was a little bit of an up and down experience for us but yeah
2: yeah that's what I wondered is if going into the tournament it was well we just want to play some young guys we have certain goals for individuals we're not going to worry about winning but yeah. then you have a little bit of success and you start to view that as a new opportunity and a greater opportunity. And then all of a sudden the internal expectations rise and change.
0: No doubt. I mean, if you try it, you tell your team, Hey, don't get big picture. Focus on this point. And you're over on the bench, looking at this team thinking we can make the world be finals,
1: <laughs> 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 you know, and, 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 uh, you get excited about
0: it because, you know, that would have been really significant. I had mean, to take that team with all those new guys and, at that point, we didn't have Reed and all that stuff. So you, you're rotating a bunch of new guys in at that outside hitter spot. You got two new opposites. You got two new setters. You got a new Libero. And for us to have gone to the World League finals would have been sweet. That would have been something. Of course, we didn't. And at the end of the day, you're right. I think our goals were to take a look at a lot of new guys. And in the long run, I think it's going to pay off. I think the rest we were able to give Reed, the looks we were able to give us some new guys. Uh, I think we have to continue moving forward with young guys. I think that's important, and um, I think in the long run it will be good for us. But, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a little bit – we dangled the carrot a little bit. It was tough to, to not get there.
2: On yourselves. <laughs> Put yeah. the carrot out in front of yourself. Give me uh, give me a few standouts from this year, guys you felt really stepped up.
0: Uh, well, I mentioned Reed. Uh, I just felt he came home from Turkey, and I, I remember – watching him play and he just was playing with confidence and he was explosive and I remember thinking that he was playing great and then uh, he obviously took some significant time off for maybe the first time in a decade and uh, he came back and was a little rusty and I was wondering if he'd get it back and for him to come back and play as well as he did at North State, I think is really really positive for him oh, I think he really gave us some nice leadership too so that was really good to see. You know who also stepped up in terms of A leadership role very vocal incredibly positive great with the young guys with Sean Rooney really liked I really liked what some of the veterans gave in terms of just their emotional enthusiastic support team attitude Uh, even rich Lamborn uh, who didn't really play a whole lot for us this summer because we were giving Eric a ton of those reps he was in practice working hard every single day and had great things to say. Every time we had a team meeting, Rich is incredibly bright, and he's been around and seen a lot of volleyball, and he always has great contributions every time we have a team chat. And so I, I was really happy with a lot of the veteran play. Uh, I was really happy with Matt Anderson and the way he was able to improve, particularly at his passing. I think he, he became a pretty good passer by the end of the year. Uh, he changed some of his techniques and his fundamentals. He really spent some time working on it. He works incredibly hard. He's very professional. Uh, sometimes making changes for some of these guys that have been playing at a real high level for a long time is tough, you know, because ultimately when you're making a change, things get worse, and that's hard for people to process. Right. So he went through that and did a really... He's becoming a much, much better passer. Uh, I, I still think he has upside in terms of his block and uh, his attacking. I mean, of course, we mixed him around a lot this summer, so he doesn't know what side of the court he's hitting on, but at some point we'll figure that out, and he'll continue to improve there, too. Um in terms of the young guys, I, I was real pleased with Eric Shoji. I thought he had a really nice summer at Libero. And uh, I think the most impressive young player – I mean, I mean uh, let me see before I make the statement. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of nice contribution. But I think the most impressive young player we had was Micah Christensen. He came in, and here's the mm-hmm. youngest guy on the team. And for him to play as well as he did uh, it really was, I thought um, – really really good for our team I, he he was unaffected by the fact he was the youngest guy on the team i mean you think about what you had on the court this from um, this summer you had rich and reed who were in their upper 30s and then you bring in micah who's 20 and yeah. uh and still in college and how how do you build a team you know how, how do you build a team when there's that kind of diversity of personality and age and their time in their life and i, I think the ability for some of the older guys to embrace the young guys as contributing members to the team and not going out there with, you know, sometimes those old guys, they have this attitude of, hey, you're going to have to prove it to me, you know, and there can be kind of tough on the young guys. And that wasn't the case. I thought that we had a really nice team dynamic. And on the other side, the young guys can kind of come in and be a little intimidated, and, and Micah was not. He was absolutely not intimidated by that. And at the end of the day, he played very, very well at North Seca, and I think that was a significant improvement for us. Our setting did get better for, with everybody over the course of the summer. Our setting early in World League was probably a big variable for us. Um, it got better over the summer, and certainly Micah coming in and playing as well as he did helped us a, a, a tremendously at North at norseica.
1: Are you going to be
2: able to get Micah for Grand Champions Cup? Yes,
0: yes, yes. Fergie was uh, the first guy I called about that. <laughs> <laughs> i always called Fergie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's he's been great. His parents have even been great. You know, he was having to commute back and forth to Anaheim uh, once school started. His parents were went out and got him a car. They came to North They said thank you for buying your son a car. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's uh, that's been great. A lot of support from from Furby USC and the, and what they're doing with him academically, and so that's been very helpful for us.
2: Man, that's a great situation. You go no play doubt. well on the national team, you get all the excitement, plus your parents buy you a car. Bravo, that's Michael right. Christensen. Good for you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, yeah. you know, the, the downside is, is that if we go to Grand Champions and do pretty well and win some prize money, he can't take it all. So every, what we'll have to do is redistribute it to the team, so he'll be everybody's
2: favorite guy on the team. Yeah, he will. When he graduates college, he'll be owed a lot of dinners. Yes. That's right. That's a right.
0: We'll be dividing by 11 instead of
2: 12, so it'll be great. Oh, That'll be fantastic. John, how about Clay and the situation at opposite? You mentioned that Matt Anderson spent some time hitting all over the court. That seemed to be because you couldn't settle on an opposite who could deliver regularly throughout the time. Everybody knows Clay has been, if not the top opposite, in that conversation for a decade now. Do you Mm -hmm. expect him to make it? Do you have to plan on him not making it to Rio?
0: Um, I know better than the count out Clay Stanley, because I never really thought after watching him play as well as he did in 2008 that he would be one of the best, if not the best, player early in the Olympics until he got hurt. I mean, he was unbelievable. And so... I'd like to think that he can continue, obviously, even his dad has had this incredibly long, successful career. I mean, maybe the Stanley gene is there, and he'll be at that level four years from now. I think we need to be conscientious of the fact that Clay is a veteran. He's a big guy. Uh, We need to make sure we take care of him and not uh, use up too many reps on those legs of his. So I think during the summers we're just going to let him rest and recover and strength train and stay healthy so he can go overseas and play and make some money. Um, and, of course, we'll keep having conversations with him. But this summer it was clear that we were going to we we're gonna rest him and take a look at these young guys. In, in some respects, like you said, I have to plan on him not being there. And uh, if he's there, obviously that's wonderful for us and the team if he's playing at the level that he's been playing at over the last eight years. Um, but uh, I think it, any coach would have to have plan B. We all would love it if plan A worked, but plan B is – us to continue to work on developing Carson and Murphy. Now that you know, with Matt opposite, I, I don't know that that's what we're going to do four years from now. You know, I don't, I don't know that that's the case. It mm-hmm. depends a lot on who develops the most. You know, is, are, is Carson and Murphy, or are, are one of them going to become the guys that can become a great opposite? I think they both have some real nice upside, but they've also only been out of college for a year, so they've got a lot to learn. And if not, we can move Matt over there. And if we move Matt over there, then who's going to play at that outside hitter spot is reed going to be able to maintain his level over the next four years or is rooney going to be able to get back to where he was you know he's still in the middle of recovering from shoulder surgery some of these young guys are going to be able to develop uh you know some one guy we didn't really have in the gym at all this summer that we would have liked to have had in the gym but you know with academics and some of his responsibilities you know we had to, we didn't get a chance to take a look at taylor sander and so You know, we we have some young guys we can take a look at over the next three years, and and at the end of the day, we're just going to have to put the best team out there. In the final, we decided that the best team was an added opposite. And we'd been training it a lot, maybe 50% of the time, all the way through August uh, and September. So it wasn't wasn't, uh, a crazy move on my part. This is something we'd actually pretty closely looked at. And uh, at the end of the day, that was the best lineup for us to win that tournament. And I'm not even sure that's going to be our best lineup to win, Grand Champions Cup, so we'll just have to see how it goes. Maddie obviously is a very talented hitter and can attack from a lot of different places, so he was pretty good over there. That was a good lineup, and uh, I'm sure we'll see more of it, for sure.
2: We've gone through the guys who played well. How about some guys that need to step it up, guys that maybe didn't deliver on what you expected this summer?
0: Hmm. Uh, I think there's some guys, I don't know that they disappointed it anyway. I, I think uh, there's you know, the guy that we, we spent some time training and did a really nice job in terms of learning and getting better uh, was Jeff Menzel. You know, he's physically unbelievable. Um, yeah. He flies, and he can hit the ball, and he can got better at blocking. He really lo- learned how to pass the ball at a much higher level. So you look at a guy with that kind of physicality, you'd like him to learn how to play the whole game better and continue to improve mm-hmm. um, so that they're – you know, there are guys like that. I think that's true. My general consent my general thought watching some of these guys, Menzel, Carson, uh, Murphy, uh, Matt Anderson, a lot of these guys have been so physical their whole life that they were never forced to play maybe like Riley Salmon. So you got a guy like Riley who had so many shots, had so much craft in his game to use the block, to tool it, to hit in the seams. Um, Hugh McCutcheon always liked to used to say, "There's lots of ways to kill the ball." And I, I think that some of these guys that are really physical really have never been challenged to do that, even at this level. You know, Matt Anderson's touching 12-3. He can go over the block, and so that's what he tries to do most of the time. And I think what we need to do is develop all of our players, and Menzel's one of them, to to really learn how to play the block, play shot selection, when to hit it in the block, and cover yourself some of those shots with the offensive power and, and our ability to perform better on the offensive side and develop those skills over the next three years, I think is going to be critical for us. And I think everybody could learn how to do that a little bit better, especially the more physical guys. So I think that's our challenge.
2: How do you go about physically training that? How do you go about getting guys to make that decision?
0: Uh, I, I just, you know, shot selection is a constant verbiage. You know, it just has to be, Obviously setting up drills to try and encourage specific shots. Um, trying to give some positive feedback when they do things that are different and new. Um, you know, I, I think uh high seam is is a great shot, but it just can't be used all the time. And and talking about okay, and this shot and this this is where the ball was in relation to you and the block and you went here, what were some other options? Did you see the block? How did you attack it? What was your what was your thought process? And, I think we just have to continue to talk about that over and over and over again. It's about it's like anything else. It's set up some drills, trying to encourage some specific behaviors, watching some video. Did you do it? Did you not do it? What else could you have done here? Go back out in the gym and do it all over again. And I think we just we just have to keep grinding away at that.
2: I only touched eleven seven and a half. Uh, if I touched yeah. twelve. Three, and I still tried to go over the block all the time. Uh, if I touched twelve yep. three, I would I would never ever do anything else. I'm just that. That's stupid. right. <laughs> it
0: is. It is. And that's the thing. That's exactly right. Guys that are that physical never were challenged to do those kinds of things. And so uh, it's uh, it, but imagine if they had all that crap. And you know that's always the debate, right? Riley Salmon is probably at home listening to me right now, going, "If I could have only touched."
1: 12-3. Right. You have no
0: idea what I could have done. But the reality is, if Riley Salmon could have touched 12-3, he would have not become Riley Salmon. So there's, there's always this balance between the physicality and the craft. And can you? Uh, I say, in a lot of ways, can you take the guys that are super physical and say, "Hey, watch a guy like this. Watch what he's doing on your team or another team. And can you do this? And that, there's really where you can become really, really special players.
2: John, I wanted to ask you about Andrea Becker and her role. Is she in a proactive role or a reactive role with players and their needs? And how well was she received by this professional team this season? Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. We're talking about Becker here? Yeah. Yeah. Is it proactive yeah. or reactive? In other words, are players having to seek her out? Or are you kind of sicking her on some players? <laughs> and and how well did did the team respond overall to Andrea and her involvement?
0: Uh, I have tried on multiple occasions to sick Andrea on somebody. And Becker, that's your guy. Fix that problem. <laughs> you know,
1: like, I don't
0: care what happens. This is what you need to do. And she is very reluctant to do that. Um, Andrea is uh, has always had the philosophy that, uh, you know, what I'm here, I'm going to, I'm here as a resource for the athletes. And I'm going to, she does some general things with the whole team. Uh-huh. You know, she'll do a, a lecture here, or a discussion here, or uh, a visualization or a meditation session here or there, and, and she does a lot of those things. And um, but in terms of her individual interaction, one-on-one, she really kind of she's not going out there. I think a lot of sports psychologists makes make the mistake of trying to get in everyone's business, and that that makes people really reluctant to do that. You know, it's they get hesitant. And she's very aware, aware of that. So for the most part, she's there as a resource. And when people realize that she's not there trying to shrink their head or do anything too crazy and that she's a resource that can help make them better athletes, then they start coming to her. And that's when it can really work well. And there's definitely been times when I've gone to a guy and said, hey, here's, here's somebody that's on our staff. That whole purpose is to make you a more complete player. And you're not utilizing that resource. And so sometimes I can go that direction, which is effective. Um, but, yeah, Andrea is pretty reluctant to get into other people's business unless they're comfortable with her being there. Uh, that being said, I think we've found that the guys on the national team were very receptive, very. I, I, I wondered about it. I've had different experiences um, with Bex and different teams, Um the guys at UCLA, when we first got here, were wonderful in terms of receiving her. Uh, and I wondered what the national team guys are going to be like. They're, they're professional. They've been around for a while. Uh, I wasn't sure how that was all going to go, but they've been wonderful. They've treated her great. I think they all value her input. And she works a ton through me. I think that's the thing is that, for me, I felt like having Becker around has made me a better volleyball coach because we talk about these things, and she has input for me in the way that I do things. So she makes me a much better volleyball coach by her being around, and that ultimately impacts, I think, everybody.
2: John Spraw, head coach at UCLA and the men's national team. John, thanks for sitting in. Uh, tell us when the Grand Champions Cup is happening.
1: Oh, uh,
0: my gosh. Let me look at the calendar here. <laughs> I know that I leave on November 10th. Hold on here. I think it was the 19th to the 24th. Does that sound right? See Sounds here. about right. Uh, eight, I think we start playing the 18th. I think we play, hold on a second.
3: BJ it's Evans the 18th. Says November 18th to the
0: 24th. Yeah, I think we played, so far what we we understand, although it's not finalized, is we played Japan on the 18th, Brazil on the 19th, travel on the 20th, and then play the wild card, which I, do, I, I don't think has been named unless it was named today, and then uh, Iran and Russia, I think we're scheduled to finish with Russia on the 23rd and then tw- fly home the 24th.
2: Do you approach this a little bit differently than World League and some other stuff? Are you done experimenting for this year and you put out your best team?
0: Uh, no, I think we're going to take a look at some more guys. Uh, I don't know about more guys. Uh, I think we're going to take a look at guys that still haven't gotten a ton of looks. I mean, I think we're going to bring – we're going to take 14 over there to train. Then we got to select 12. Um, yeah, I could see us working Anderson in the opposite, and I could see us – putting him back at outside hitter and taking a look at one of our our opposites again and a little bit more of a traditional lineup. But I'd, I'd like to, the other lineup that interests me is putting Anderson at opposite, having him pass the whole time and putting Menzel out there at that H2 spot. Um, so I'd like to take a look at that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think at this point, we're going to get some opportunities to take a look at more guys against some good teams. and but we're going out there to win. I think uh, some different lineups could still beat different teams. We'll just, we'll just have to make the best decision when we get there.
2: Very good, John. Thanks for spending a lot of time with us here today and just giving us an update on everything. It's always fun to talk to you and hear about what's happening now with two quite important teams in the men's side of the game. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah, yeah no problem. Uh, good talking with you guys, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon.
2: All right. John Spraw, head coach okay,
1: of
2: uh, every team that we can think of on the men's side. Men's national team. You every men's like. team you can think of, John is coaching. <laughs> <laughs> if John had the opportunity to coach, uh, let's say, UC Santa Barbara also could he have taken that job? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, lots of great stuff in there. I'm going to give you a couple minutes here. We're going to take a break. You're going to digest a little bit of it. We're going to come back. We'll have our College of Oliva Weekly, but then hang on, because I want to get back to a lot of stuff that John Spraw touched on there. touched on a lot of, a, a lot of interesting stuff from <clears> – <throat> I have two pages, three pages of notes here – from UCLA and NCAA stuff back into the national team and what happened this year. And we will get into all that after our College Volleyball Weekly. So stay with us here on The Net Live, Kevin and Jeremy.
1: The best college volleyball in the country is coming to Seattle. And you'll want to be there up close to take in all the action. It is definitely all. The best way to see it is to experience it live at the 2013 NCAA Division I Women's Volleyball Championship, December 19th and 21st at Key Arena in Seattle, hosted by the University of Washington and the Seattle Sports Commission. Affordable ticket prices now available. Go online at NCAA.com slash volleyball and reserve your seats today.
2: I mean, I know this group, but I did not know this was them. Avicii? Correct. Avicii is one guy. I had to ask you that. That's okay. Well, I mean, one guy is a group, though, right? I mean, Or is it considered an individual artist? Uh, I don't know if you can call an individual group. It's funny nowadays, because with what's possible electronically, you don't really have to be a group. You can be an individual, but make it sound like you have well, a group. Well, his new album is like all like, of the stuff produced by him, and he has like different singers on each track. So... That's the thing now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about James Taylor. There's an individual. He's playing his guitar. He's singing. Correct. That's an individual. Solely individual performance. Correct. Music has changed. It's interesting to me that it took artists so long to figure out that if you have one superpower and another superpower, if they do something together, that doesn't equal disaster. That equals mega power. Well.
3: You know, there's so many things that go on behind the scenes with that. Like the record labels, can they sign off on it? Who's going to put the song out? Like, Is it your record label? Is it my record label? If they're not on the same label, there's all kinds of things that go on behind the scenes.
2: It seems like, though, up until about 2000, right around 2000, it didn't happen much. Napster.
3: And I remember... That's all I'm going to say.
2: But why would that make it
3: so that, that artists would start to collaborate? Because that's the only way they can, they're going to be making money now. Because before they could do it on their own. Now you have to do things... You have to put out more content or what? You definitely have to put out more content.
2: Because I remember it was, um, what's her name, the ska chick from down here in Orange County? No doubt, Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani, and she teamed up with one of the female rap artists whose name escapes me currently. Eve. Maybe it is Eve. No, not maybe, it is. Okay, that's one of the first ones. <laughs> that's one of the first like big collaborations that I remember. remember, and then all of a sudden it just exploded, and you had everybody doing something with somebody else.
3: Yeah, now every song you hear on the radio, it's so-and-so featuring so-and-so. Right. Yeah.
2: Daft Punk, half their album is featuring somebody else. Well, because they're not... Well, they're electronic. Per se, yeah. Yeah.
3: So you you do that kind of stuff.
2: All right. Hmm. John Spraw. I'm still looking at my notes. That was a... I mean... And I could have gone... We could have gone another... Oh, easily. And he would have, too.
3: I like that he calls and he'll... I like that he answers... I feel like he's answering our questions honestly. Like, there's no, like, politics behind what he's saying. Right. Like right. he's, he's like, Yeah, I'll give you an honest answer. Like, this guy needs to, you know, I want to get more looks at him, or blah, 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 blah. Or I am sabotaging the USC <laughs> men's volleyball team by just taking their setter everywhere.
2: <laughs> I mean, I,
3: I don't remember if he said those words exactly. That's just right, uh, right.
2: But, but it was in there. It wasn't there. If you took all of his words, you could actually get him to say it. Cam Green, who's an assistant coach at USC, plays the conga drums
3: when I perform as the Suicide Doors with us. I make fun of him all the time. I was like, so how do you feel about your setter just doing really well in the national team? It's great. He's like, yeah, it's awesome. I was like, and then how do you feel about him just going to be super tired for your season because he's on the national team all the time? When is he going to file paperwork
2: to transfer to UCLA? Yeah, exactly,
3: exactly. Yeah, it's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun, USC, but I got to (laughs) go.
2: You got to get some better athletes in here, USC. Exactly. Get me some outside hitters to set for crying out loud. They were in a three or, no, a four outside hitter rotation last year, none of whom were hitting above 200 at one point. But let's also, everybody was hurt. I'm talking coaching staff, medical staff. Yeah, but AD.
3: If you're a healthy outside hitter, Everybody, everybody at USC, everybody that went to USC last year
2: was hurt. Everybody. If you're an outside hitter and you can't hit above 200, yeah, come on. Somebody's got to set you. Your, your best player was playing every position. 350 is the goal. 350. Your setter was playing every position. I know. It's because he is better than your outside hitter. That's bad looking for the outside <laughs> hitters. I never met a setter who was a better outside hitter than me. Well,
3: but. No, nobody's
2: better than you, Kevin. Ah, Obviously. Exactly. Obviously. Exactly. Obviously. I tell you, it doesn't leave, and I I understand older athletes more and more as I get older. That uh, the will, the determination, and the confidence don't leave, but certainly the capability does. But
3: the confidence, (laughs) but the confidence should leave. I mean,
2: a you get smarter as you get older. I wish I knew as much about volleyball when I played as I do after doing ten years of commentary. Obviously, good lord, I could have been such a better teammate and player than I am now. Sure, a lot of people. Or for me, than I was then. I'm sure a lot of people would uh, be happy about that. You wouldn't have to search far to find that. <laughs> Sheesh. Are you ready for uh, College Volleyball Week? I don't know. Are they ready? Oh, they're ready. Oh, well, bring it on then. Get them in here. I don't like your attitude. Each week here on the Net Live, we offer you College Volleyball Weekly, a recap of the action from what was a good week, or a bad week, or a mediocre week, or whatever kind of week it was. The AVCA College of Volleyball Weekly Association of Volleyball Coaches sponsors it, and we do it. And by we, I mean Deb Static and Brandon Rosenthal. They do all the work. I just sit here and try and direct traffic. Welcome in, Deb and Brandon.
1: What up, what up?
2: What's happening? So, guys, it's been two weeks. And I still, by the associative property of volleyball, Wyoming might be the number one team in the nation, or at least number two. This is a, this is a crazy, crazy world we're living in here. Southern Cal, although, added a, a little bit of stability to that this week. Who can challenge USC when it comes to net presence, is what I wonder, having watched them over the weekend.
4: Michigan State.
5: Yep, I would agree with that completely.
2: Michigan State, really, because they're coming out of nowhere. I'm thinking Jenna Roble back in the day for Michigan State. They haven't really been a factor since then.
5: I actually. Uh, Sorry, go ahead.
4: No, I was just going to say, if you look over the past five to eight years, I mean, I think uh, Kathy's done a fantastic job with them, and and, uh, they're always in the mix, and they're a team that, you know, come tournament time. I would imagine most coaches are, are not looking forward to seeing them. Kind of them and, and, you know, Wichita State and some of these teams, you know, obviously they are come from a much bigger and better conference. They're, they're just that program. I don't think you want to see them come tournament time.
5: Yeah, and I actually had a chance to watch them play um, two weekends ago now, and I was just taken back by their physicality, you know, They have Alexis Matthews in the middle, and she is just a really, really big blocker. She gets over the net so far. You got Lauren Wazinski on the outside, who maybe not one of the best outsides of the nation, but I'd definitely be throwing her name in the mix, maybe not for player of the year, but definitely on that All-American radar. She's just a really nice, big player as well. So I think they're one of the most physical teams at the net out there.
2: Michigan State, 17-1 overall, 6-0 in the Big Ten. They defeated Iowa 3-0 and defeated number nine, Nebraska 3-1. And Michigan State in the poll this week, just released by the ABCA. They are up to number five on the strength of that 17-1 and record. Southern Cal remains at number one. They took 50 first-place votes. Florida, how about Florida? Mary Wise making a bid to be the first women Women's, or pardon me, woman head coach to take a women's team to the national championship. Five number one votes and stays at number two. One, two, three, four, unchanged. Michigan State makes that big jump. So it's Southern Cal, Florida, Texas, Penn State, and Michigan State are your top five. Washington at six. Stanford, Nebraska, Hawaii, Minnesota. Deb, what about Hawaii? They, they are still in there at number nine. They've dropped from number five. A loss to Santa Barbara. That, to me, seems unlikely.
5: Yeah, and that's even a little bit more unique because I, they were playing at home. You know, usually you expect teams to go into Hawaii and get taken a little bit back, but it just seems like nothing was quite clicking for them in that match. You know, as a team, they were hitting 111, which any program is going to struggle to win if they're hitting that bad of a hitting percentage.
1: They had right.
5: 38 errors or something like that, so they just were not, were not clicking. But they have an off week coming up here, so I think they'll probably be taking some time to kind of head back to the drawing board and think about what went so wrong in that match and what they can work on to make sure that they kind of continue to win matches that they need to be winning to stay on the national radar, at least the top of that radar.
2: And, Deb, given your geography, it seems like you'd be on top of that Penn State-Minnesota matchup that went 3-2, Penn State coming out victorious.
5: Yeah. um, You know, Penn State, I, I, once again, I love them as a program. They're a big physical team, but Minnesota is one of those where they didn't have that many tough matches at the beginning of the season. I kind of was wondering how they were going to respond when they got into those pressure situations. And, you know, that match, they're right there. They're still kind of working through their lineup and looking at some different people in different positions. But with Dixon in the middle there, she's just big and very, very physical player. And I think she was given Penn State's middles about all they could handle. They just didn't quite have enough to squeak it out.
2: Brandon, how about Florida? They defeated Kentucky, and they also defeated Georgia 3-0, 3-0. Good win over number 15, Kentucky.
4: Yeah, you know, the interesting part about that is if you look at that, you know, three-set win over Kentucky, Florida had 18 service aces, or excuse me, airs, 18 service airs. And I have, uh, you know, I talked to some people after that match, and they said that, uh, that Florida was just, getting after it with their serve and they just you know basically said hey listen we're going to make some errors but we're going to score a lot and we're going to put you in a bad spot you know uh with your offense just because we're going to put so much pressure uh but it's still i mean 18 errors and and a win in three still blows me away Uh, I think that uh, they're playing really well, and, uh, you know, I don't foresee any big hiccups for them, you know, in a while. I think Kentucky was a big test, Uh, you know, obviously at Florida. You know, you've got a big matchup against Missouri coming up uh, this weekend on the 20th, uh, next Sunday, uh, and that's going to be at Missouri. So, um, you know, both teams are... Could be into that match undefeated in, in conference play. Uh, Missouri right now 21-0 and 0 on the year, so obviously having a pretty good season themselves. So that should be fun to watch. Yeah, interesting. Florida right back up in there. Florida a few years ago, very good.
2: Kind of faded down a little bit. Seems like they've cycled back up. How about a team like San Diego? It doesn't seem like San Diego is going to be terribly challenged in the West Coast Conference. They have San Francisco and also Santa Clara, Maybe St. Mary's and Pep will give them a little bit of run in BYU, but it seems like San Diego can kind of cruise until they get to their tournament.
5: Yeah, I think they're a team that, just based on their schedule, they did some really nice things early, so I think we're going to continue to see them definitely in that top 25, but kind of hanging out towards the top as long as they can continue to take care of business, you know, especially when you get to those conferences that aren't necessarily as challenging sometimes you can just kind of get into a rut and all of a sudden catch yourself playing really, really bad volleyball and lose matches that you shouldn't be losing. So I think as long as they can kind of maintain their consistency and keep playing at the level that they established early on in the season, they're going to be in in good shape well, heading down the line, even if they're not playing that high competition level. you, you know,
2: got
4: to remember, they, they- – yeah, go ahead, Brad. They play St. Mary's at St. Mary's, uh, not this week, but next week. So that's a mm-hmm. tough trip. St. Mary's already beat them down in San Diego. Um uh, right. You know, St. Mary's gym, they put three people in there. It's going to be loud, you know. That's <laughs> all they need is three fans. Uh, you know, so you know uh, the Gales are going to be out. Uh, that's a big match, and that's, you know, that, that'll be a fun atmosphere. So I, I – you know, I think uh, San Diego still has a lot of work to do, Uh, you know, after climbing all the way to number two. To me, they still have some things to prove here, you know, within conference.
2: I want to give you both a shot at this next question, and it kind of relates to what Deb was saying just a minute ago. Uh, We'll start with you, Deb. As far as where do you want to play, what conference do you want to play in? I've been asking coaches this throughout my interviews going down and i did a big 12 match i did texas 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 last week i did oregon usc yesterday i've asked these coaches where do you want to play do you want to play in a conference like the big 12 where you have some challenging matches you have some other matches where you can experiment a little bit you're probably expected to win and you need to perform as such or do you want to play in the big 10 Pac 12 where every match is an absolute bloodbath, as described to me by dave rubio where you have to get after it, you really have to put your best team on the floor and execute your offense to the level that you absolutely can at that moment. Which is more preferable come tournament time, and how do you think it affects performances of teams in the 64-team field, Deb?
5: Right. I think in terms of which is more preferable come tournament time, kind of depends on how the team comes out of Big Ten life. You know, with so many good teams, top to bottom, you run the risk of not being above 500 and even being tournament eligible. So if you can navigate a Big Ten or a Pac-12 um, with the appropriate you know, winning percentage to qualify for the tournament, I think that's a definite advantage just because they are used to playing the best of the best all the time and they might feel a little bit, you know, their first couple matches then in the tournament are going to be a little bit of a warm-up then, maybe work out some kinks, and then they'll be back to playing that top competition like they've been seeing all season once they start hitting the Sweet 16 rounds. You know, that being said, for some of those teams that are scheduling ridiculous pre-conference matchups, it is tough to play with a target on your back, and it's tough to play with your back against the wall. So for these teams that played really, really tough pre-conference, they're not played above 500, or they're dancing pretty close to 500. you know, they're going to play their whole entire Big Ten, Pac-12 season trying desperately to win every match that they're supposed to win and squeak out some upsets just to be tournament eligible. So it can come back and and bite you in the butt a little bit.
4: Brandon, you're a coach? Yeah, I say you go, you know, I like the Big Ten, the Pac-12. Bottom line is if you deserve to be there in the end, you will be. And, you know, I like what Dev is saying about, you know, pre-conference scheduling and things like that. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're not above 500, uh, there's no doubt that you could be, you know, you could beat 30 or 40 percent of the teams in the tournament. But if you're not above 500, you don't deserve to be there. You had your chances. Uh, and, and whether that's your fault for scheduling or whatnot, you had your chances. And and I I truly believe I love you got to love what these big conferences the Pac-12 and Big Ten because every weekend you said it is an absolute grind you know uh, I, I I was just talking with uh, Ben Bede memba the other night uh, other morning it was five o'clock my time uh, which is three o'clock West Coast time for those that don't know those time zones mostly hey, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, AM, and he was already up watching film, Uh, and uh, it was that reminder to me that, man, uh, nobody's taking a break, and uh, this is, you know, it's it's crazy. We wait three-fourths of the year to get to, you know, the four months that we get to play, and so now it's, it's on, and I love what these big conferences do.
5: And it just makes for such good matches to watch. And when you look down the line every week, it's really hard to pick your top three favorite matches from each of those two big conferences to watch. And I just think it's great for the sport when you have two big powerhouses like that. you got these teams that are playing, you know, what could ultimately end up being championship matches throughout the course of the season. And it makes for some exciting volleyball, really, really good for promoting the sport and kind of getting people interested that they play those matches all year long.
4: And I'll even say this: it doesn't. To me, you know, I, I think it's awesome what the Pac-12 and, and Big Ten have. But I, I really appreciate, uh, and again, this is to my peers. I appreciate the coaches to go out and sc- schedule tough, regardless of what conference they're in. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. There is nothing you can do about you know the teams in your conference that is decided by presidents and athletic directors and things like that. But there is a whole lot you can do about scheduling outside of your conference, and there are plenty of teams out there that continue and go play tough schedules and say, hey, listen, we're going to be better for it. Uh, and it's not for everybody. I get it. You know, I, There's different agendas out there. But year in and year out, there are certain coaches that will challenge their teams and say, this is who we are, and that's what I respect about college athletics. Mm-hmm.
5: So, sure. And those are the teams, I think, that are making that commitment to kind of scheduling tough. Those are the teams that are going to improve, you know, over the course. You get better by stretching yourself. So I think the teams that are committed to doing that are going to start popping up and have obviously started popping up on that national radar. So, once again, great for the sport, the coaches that are willing to go out and do that, kind of throw themselves under a bus a little bit um, and kind of make that risk with that scheduling.
2: All right, guys, I have another philosophical question here for you to debate, and it involves rankings and the deserve to move up or deserve to move down. Jeremy and I touched on it earlier in this program, and I'm looking through last week's top 25 and this week's top 25, focusing on Michigan State. Now, Michigan State ranked seventh last week. They go out and they defeat number nine Nebraska, so they're expected to do that. They defeat Iowa, who is unranked, 3-0. They then move up two spots in the rankings to number five. Now one spot is open because Hawaii at number five lost to UC Santa Barbara, but then Michigan State leapfrogs Washington, who defeated Arizona and also defeated Arizona State 3-1-3-0, kind of as expected. My my question, and maybe it's not great with just a team moving one spot, but do you deserve to move up in the rankings if you defeated teams that were below you that you were expected to beat? Well,
5: I think in this go ahead, sorry.
4: I think, in this case, when you're talking about Michigan State over Nebraska, those are two top ten teams, so uh you're not having to go very far between the difference, even though one was seven, one was nine. That's a little bit different than you know a uh Washington and Arizona state uh <clears throat> so i i think in michigan state's uh you know the body of work uh here's what i will say i would probably say that michigan state hasn't moved up soon enough and so now they're making this jump here and everybody says oh well you know oh they only beat nebraska well they probably should have been higher all along to be honest with you they beat penn state uh, you know, they it, they only have one loss on the year, albeit not a great loss. Uh, they lost the Pacific, you know. But it, it, my problem with the top 25 is when you start in the top 25, if if you just do what you're supposed to do, you're never getting out of the top 25. Uh, and then you have teams like, you know, a San Diego and things like that that have a great, you know, they start out a little bit lower and then all of a sudden they don't have that name. And so their first loss, man, they drop like 10 spots, you know, and, and it's tough. So I think a lot of it is reputation. A lot of it is conference, you know, affiliation.
5: Right. And I think if we start nitpicking how much an individual program moves up or down, kind of like we're looking at with Michigan state, um, a lot of it does come down to how they beat a team. I think, you know, Coaches are sitting there watching the matches and they're they're seeing things from a team. So if all of a sudden you have this team who's supposed to be the team, but all of a sudden they're doing it and they're hitting great and they're in system all the time and they have a really nice block that seems like it's always set up, you know, I'm sure some of that, I'm not a coach, obviously, so I'm just speculating, but you have to imagine that some of how a team beats another team comes into play, especially when you're getting to those, those top levels of the rankings.
2: Did you stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, though, Deb?
5: A Holiday and Express? No. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All
2: right, I have one more question about teams before we get into our pick here. And I'm starting to wonder about UCLA. National championship two seasons ago, and just another really rough week for the Bruins. It's bad enough to have kind of a wimpy mascot, but it's even worse to go out and lose matches. Lost to Oregon, 1 3, Oregon with a couple of good comebacks. And then they defeated Oregon State, but it was 3-2 against what is a kind of a decimated Oregon State team, which is definitely struggling. What on earth is happening with the Bruins, Deb?
5: I don't know what's happening with them, but I wouldn't necessarily, you know, losing to Oregon. That's saying something last year, but Oregon's not even that good, in my opinion, this year. They're not really going out there and proving themselves. So, you know, teams are going to hit that cycle. You're going to see teams at the top and you're going to see teams at the bottom over the course of not necessarily very many seasons, just depending on what personnel. And some things are just clicking some years and some aren't. So, you know, I'm not, I don't follow that chunk of the world as closely, but you know, I'm, I imagine it's something to do with just not having quite the right chemistry going on. But yeah, I don't, the top 25 teams, I'm not even sure if I would necessarily be putting them, putting them there anymore. They're just not really showing me much.
2: All right, let's take a look at the top 25. couple of movers who have jumped into the top 25. Congratulations, Kansas and Duke for leaping in there. Duke comes up from previously 28th, Kansas from 32nd. They're up into the top 25. Ohio falls out from number 18, and they fell out on the strength of losses to Kent State, or a loss to Kent State, I should say, and a win against Eastern Michigan. That moved them all the way out of the top 25. And UCLA with those two with that split result on the weekend those two matches UCLA falls out of the top 25 so it's Southern Cal Florida Texas Penn State Michigan State Washington Stanford Nebraska Hawaii and Minnesota are your top 10 San Diego Colorado State North Carolina Kentucky Wisconsin Michigan Ohio State Missouri then it's Florida State BYU at 20th so a good move for the Cougars Oregon Arizona State Kansas, Duke, and Purdue, Oregon kind of floating on a as-expected weekend, defeating UCLA and losing to the Trojans yesterday. So let's get to our pick em here. Deb, I need a match from you.
5: All right, I'm going Stanford-Washington. Stanford's one of those that, they, you know, they just dropped a match to USC a few weeks back. They play a pretty strong Colorado and Utah program, and chalk wins up over them last two matchups, and they're going to have – Why I'm interested in this one is they are playing Washington State on Friday, and then they're coming in and playing Washington on Sunday. Um, You know, a couple weeks ago, Washington State, not necessarily all that attention grabbing. They just beat Arizona State in five uh, last week. So I think that Stanford's going to have to pay them a little bit more attention than originally anticipated. And then that's heading into the Washington game on Sunday. So for that match, I think I'm going to go with Washington. I'm just not sure Stanford, you know, they've had nice wins, but I still really like Washington as a team this season.
2: Brandon, you got I, a lot of information.
4: Been, to work there. Yeah, you know, I've been picking Stanford all year. Uh, I'm sticking with them. I, I really am. I think this is a team. Uh, they showed me a lot of just moxie last year. I'm going to drop moxie on you. Uh, Good word. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think this is a team that uh over the next month here uh is a team that's just going to gain momentum and uh you know, we kind of talk about Stanford as an afterthought. They're 12 and 3 and 5 and 1 in conference. So, uh I I would take that record any day. Just remember to take off your tree costume before you go in the house, Brandon. All right. That's uh, right.
2: Brandon, you give me a match.
4: I'm going Florida, Missouri at Missouri. Uh both teams, you know, like I said, at this point undefeated. Uh Florida one loss on the year. Uh Missouri twenty one and oh. Uh so I think this should be a lot of fun to see. I think uh you've got two great uh players in Kreklo, uh one of the top setters in the country. Uh, for Missouri and uh, Lisa Henning one of the top attackers who is uh, tremendous from everywhere and then obviously the Florida force with Chloe Mon and uh, Taylor Brown Eyes and, and things like that so uh, I'm going to take Florida I'm going to say that they're going to go out of the Gator zone out of the swamp and get this dub uh, and uh, move on to uh, what I think is going to be an undefeated uh, SEC season I like it. Dip.
5: Yeah, and I, Yep, I'll go with Missouri in this one, just to keep it interesting. Um, you know, there's something to be said. I know they haven't played as strong a schedule as a Florida team, but there is something to be said for consistency. And I've played at Missouri. We used to play them when I was in college, back when they were in the Big 12. Um, if they get people in that facility, it can be a pretty tough place to play. There's some vicious fans. Their student section can get a little wild. So I think I might go to Missouri in this, call the upset.
2: All right, what's the Missouri mascot? Tigers. Tigers. Yeah, tigers. Tigers versus Gators. Boy, that's a tough pick there, too. I don't know what to do with that, either. <laughs> and are you in water? Or are you on land? It just depends. Yeah. Are you in the swamp? I guess you're not in the swamp because you're at Missouri, so maybe you're in the lowlands. But my, there might be a water hole somewhere. Uh, interesting. Deb, <laughs> next match.
5: Uh, yeah. We got a Big East rivalry coming up with Marquette DePaul. Uh, obviously not. Not those top 25 teams, but it's going to be. I had the chance to go watch Marquette a few weeks ago. They have a really nice setter. They're in a pretty fast tempo offense, and they have just chalked up their highest ever Pablo renting. So they're doing some good things there with Schemansky, and DePaul is kind of their in-conference rivalry, and that is at Marquette on Saturday. And I am going to go with Marquette on that one.
2: All right. I don't know. You might, might have stumped him here.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, no, no. Back.
4: This it is burned. this is I I, I know we want to maybe pick different teams, but this is this is a blowout. Marquette in 3. Uh yep. I'm calling <laughs> 16 16 16. Marquette's good. And and nothing against oh, the ball. I just think I think Marquette is one of these teams that's <clears throat> maybe not gotten enough national publicity and I think that uh, when it comes time to it uh they're going to be a team that again you do not want to see uh in conference, you know, in the in the tournament. For
1: sure. is they the, have this middle
5: who sorry, they have this middle who she does not have what I would classify as a traditional approach or arm swing or even the way that they use her. So in the match that I went to, go see, they were catching teams off guard with with some stuff with her. So I can see them surprising some people just based on shock factor alone this year.
2: This is a great example of college sports gone awry. The Big East for these two teams? Really? That's the East now? <laughs> a- anything that's in right. East of what? Nebraska
4: is East? That's not right. Brandon, last <laughs> that's match. That's I'm going to go a little bit outside the top 25. I'm going to go Butler, who has had a a really good season so far. Uh, Butler and Creighton, and that's going to be at Creighton. Um, They've already played once. Butler beat Creighton uh, at home. And uh, I think this should be a good matchup, kind of a a payback match um, with this. And I will go, I'll tell you what. Just to keep it interesting, I think uh Butler uh might scare them a little bit here, I'm gonna take Butler nice,
5: all right, yeah, I think I'm still gonna have to go with Creighton on this i you know Butler's had a good season, I really like uh Creighton and Mary on the outside. they're just good, good players, and you know on a match like that, Butler's had a good season, but it is a it is a payback match, and I think that goes for both teams. You know, whether you win or lose the first of a, a two-set thing, both teams are going to come out equally as fired up. So I think Creighton still has got the upper hand in this one.
2: Did I hear the name of an outside hitter is Creighton?
5: Uh, no, McNary.
2: Oh, McMary. Oh, for Creighton. Okay. I just want to That's make sure. Creighton, I, yep. so far <laughs> this year, I would say Creighton is the darling of College Football Weekly. I've heard more about Creighton this year than in the previous five or six years on this show. It's unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Any other matches that we need to know about, or that you're going to be watching this week that are not in our pick?em Brandon Rose Dahl.
4: Uh, <clears throat> you know, we just had one with the the Duke North Carolina rivalry. And, and North Carolina, Carolina on a team you know a team that's on the rise uh and Duke gets the W there but uh I'm going to stay in the ACC and uh I'm going to go with North Carolina versus Virginia Tech uh this is going to be at Virginia uh excuse me yeah at Virginia Tech uh should be a good match we we played Virginia Tech earlier this year had had some really good uh arms all around and uh, I'll I'll stay with North Carolina, though. I think they've got a little bit more to prove in in getting back into the top ten. Deb, any other matches that you're excited about?
5: Uh, Yeah, I'm actually going to be watching the Iowa State-Texas match, just because that's obviously a former heartstrings one for me. Um, You know, Cyclones have been struggling a little bit this year, not quite performing where they have in the last few seasons, but I know they get fired up for every time that they play Texas. And we kind of talked about some of those big 12s where you don't always have a ton of big, big matches to play. And this is one of those matches for both teams where it is a little bit more of a challenge. So both teams are going to be fired up. I'm assuming Texas is going to win this one, but I would love for Iowa State to kind of show some fight and prove that they're still, still doing good things this season
2: got to cheer for the home side, it's just the way it goes. Yeah. If you the uniform, <laughs> you wear it forever in some respect or another. Deb and Brandon, sure. thank you very much for your contributions to this episode of the show and this particular portion of it. Really good stuff from both of you, and we'll look forward to next week. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, have you, have a great week. All right. Deb and Brandon, checking out College Bobble Weekly. Thanks, ABCA, for sponsoring that segment and sending us a top 25. New top 25 just out. USC still sits at number one with Florida, Texas, Penn State, and Michigan State, your top five. So, there's your update right now. I want to get back to John Spraw, Jeremy, since you've been over there taking a nap for 20 minutes. I don't know what you're talking about.
3: John Spraw. Fit. UCLA head coach. Men's national team head coach.
2: Best young coach in the men's game? I'm going to go with yes. Best young coach in the game? Mm, overall? Maybe. You can make that argument. Maybe. I think it's interesting. You mentioned earlier his honesty. Yep. I like that a lot when we ask him who needs to step up. Yeah, he's he's not afraid to say. And I, and I ask him that about the national team, not necessarily about the college team. Yeah. It's a easier to take professionals and say, you need to be
4: better. Of
3: course.
2: You ought to be better. Uh. Interesting how the internal expectations rise on something with World League. It was funny when he was talking about that, like, oh, we
3: went into it to do this stuff, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, we could win this thing, and you, you know, and you can hear the disappointment in his voice too. It's like, yeah, like it was like they let one get away. You get that
2: close, right? And you're like, yeah, I, of course I want to win this because that's what we do. The temptation is to then look at World League and go, oh, it's a failure. No, <laughs> it's not. It kind of went like. You, it actually went better than I expected. The fact that they had chances against Poland, they had yeah. chances against some of these other good teams out there. They beat Bulgaria. I mean, Bulgaria is a big physical team, and you're throwing a bunch of college kids to the wolves for a lot of this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm i happy with World League. I'm happy with both national teams in what they did this year, and what they've accomplished. I'm real happy, and John touched on it, with Norsega. Yep. You have to keep Canada down. Canadian. You cannot let the can- Canadian... <laughs> you can't, any, can't let them get any... Uh, you can't let them believe that they a have dip- a chance. Crack
3: the door for them at all whatsoever.
2: No. <laughs> no. The last time Canada was in the Olympics was 1996 because the United States was already in. Gotcha. I'm not sure what happened with Cuba. But Canada is a good team. Make no mistake about it. They are a good team. And they didn't have Gavin Schmidt. Their outsides didn't play well. Winters and Sunius, But... That is a quality team, and you want to force them to break through that mental barrier. You don't want to just tear it down for them because you're rebuilding, because you're working on stuff. You, You need to keep that there and say, hey, you're not as good as us. You've never been as good as us, and until you win a match that matters, that's just going to continue to be the case. You want to maintain that mental edge. So that was a huge victory. I would say the biggest victory of the year for them. For the United States men's team. I'll give you that. Even had they made World League Finals, continuing to win your zone is the biggest win of the year. Because, as John mentioned, it's about qualification for the Olympics. That's what this is about. Yeah, it takes pressure off of you. Keeps the pressure on Canada. We've got so many notes here. I don't even know what to do. He gave his staff an A. He gave his, his team an A. Did it sound like to him that he was surprised at
3: how successful they were this first part of his coaching into USA Volleyball? Not surprised as in, oh my God, like I thought we were going to be awful, but like they had a lot more success than maybe they had planned because they were going to be experimenting with the team and putting people in different positions and making Matt Anderson do everything except
2: for maybe get water for people.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think he was pleased. I think that, that's what I got. Okay. And that's the sense I've gotten from him is that he's pleased okay. with the performance of the guys overall. And young guys, old guys. You heard how how pleased he was with not only the old guys' performance, the guys that played, but the way that they were trying to integrate the team. Correct. Not always the case. I get the sense from the '96 team that it wasn't so friendly, and I wasn't there. I only saw the matches. Yeah. I've only heard stories later. Yeah. But I don't think uh, Bob Stavert looked real happy with the young group of characters he had to play with in '96. Actually, Bob Stavert would be a great Legends episode. I'll make it happen. We have to get him in here. But I, I think. You heard, John, how happy he was with the performance of those old guys. Yep. And I think he was pleasantly surprised by the young guys. Uh, he'd mentioned Micah. Mm-hmm. Micah didn't even played for the end of the summer. Correct. But he mentioned Micah when he got the job. So to have Micah come in and perform as well as he did uh, is a huge boost to the young guy population. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think this was a good season. A, a really good season. He gives his staff an A. I'd give his staff an A.
3: Oh, for sure, and and let's talk about what we're grading. Like he mentioned too, and I forgot about this: how late in the process, like he was hired, right? And then Furby was announced, and then their second assistant wasn't announced right away either. July one is the middle of league. Yeah, yeah. So everything they've had to deal with. Of course, you get an A. And I'm glad he said that too, like, because he deserves an A as well. I don't know if he ever got to the point where he graded himself. Unless he I mean obviously he includes himself and the coaching staff, but I, I think everybody has to be pleased with
2: the direction the teams going. Well, everybody but some jackass on volley talk. Everybody but those guys are really wow. happy with the national team. But those guys hate their lives, so <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones going down to the beach asking for next set. No, they're not. They hate the show. They'd never ask for next set. <laughs> Shot selection. Twelve three, really, Matt Anderson. 12-3. People like
3: twelve <laughs> three. The message board is quiet, and then he said twelve three, and then some people chimed in on that. They're like, "What? Twelve All right, look. How do you tell somebody who's touching twelve three? Look, sometimes you need to hit off the block. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Coach? I'm gonna hit over the block every time.
2: Twelve oh, three. You always want more, you know. You always, you always want more. Like I'm six six. I. Well, if I was 6'10", you know? Well, hey, but what – true, of course. Me, like,
3: I was like, oh, I, I was always trying to get to six feet tall. But right. if I was six feet tall, would I want to be oh, six man. three, six four. 6'4"? Yeah, yeah,
2: of course. You, you always see the capability. Of right? course. You're like, oh, if I
3: was 6'10", I'd be in the NBA. Yeah, but you're 5'10". If you push <laughs> it to your
2: limit, if you push yourself all the way to the top and you're at your limit, you're like, mm-hmm. geez, like, I, just a little more. Yeah. Just, just a little 10. more.
3: Let me ask you this. He talked about, like, uh, you know, Anderson and those guys, like, they've never had to be, quote-unquote, crafty because they're just so physical. Right. How difficult – like, if you get a set, you – I'm asking you, Kevin. Like, you got a set, you're like, oh, the block is right there. I'm going to just try my hardest to power through it as opposed to let me hit it off the block on purpose and cover myself. Are you thinking, no, I can power it through? Or let me make the smart play right here. I'm going to hit it off the block on purpose. Because I've seen that before. Guys yeah. are like, oh, they just got stuffed. It's like, no, they did that on purpose because that was their
2: actually best choice to keep the rally going. Smart guys yep. would hit it off the block and keep going. Correct. Deliberately. Yeah. Me? Not a smart guy. You're tr- you're like, I'm going to power this through. <laughs> I I am caveman outside hitter. Me spike ball. So that's me my, spike ball harder. So that's my question. Is it
3: hard to get out of that mindset and be like, okay, because it's a, it com- it's a confidence thing, too. You're like, I think I am better than you. I don't care that you're, right. you're Phil Dahlhauser and you're reaching five feet across the net and you're going to stuff me straight down. I still feel like I can blast the ball.
2: I, the ball. I can hit past Dahlhauser, uh, no obviously, problem. Obviously. I can hit past Lambert, of course, no problem. Yeah. Today, right now. Probably, because the Hawaiian Curtain may not be able to jump much better than me. We'll have to see. Actually, That's... I think he can still jump better than me. No. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, you have to... I always believed I could get a kill. Now, the thought process of different ways to get a kill is something I developed much later in my career, and mostly through range. Yep. I was never crafty. Gotcha. I'm, Riley Salmon, crafty, slimy. I I was never those things. But I was able to see the block better, identify situations better. And I would get more shots. Yeah, I mean, I could move it around. I could I could tip into a spot that was open, that kind of stuff. I didn't do it probably nearly as much as I could, but... To John's point, if you're never forced into that situation,
3: why would you? Yeah, somebody hasn't stopped me yet from hitting over you. Yeah. Why would I need to do anything else?
2: Right. And and coaches sometimes, like, I remember Doug Beal, I came into the national team and I used to run an X1 sometimes, yep. which is I would start on the left hand side and I would, at the last second, cut in and the ball would be left short, hanging over where the three would normally be. I just hit the ball there and the outside hitter would have presumably overrun it. Yeah. Doug Beal, for years, wouldn't let me run it. Like, oh, that, that just won't work here. Bull oh, crap, it won't work here. It works just fine here.
3: Don't <laughs> have let that go yet, huh? No.
2: Um, <laughs> but coaches sometimes get stuck in, well, this won't work. Yeah. The, re- the read option in football, oh, this won't work. Now everybody's running it because somebody took the chance and ran it. Yeah. Um, there are some cases where you, you have enough physical talent to run some plays that maybe you couldn't have with players Correct. before. And, yeah, in 1983 or whatever, you, maybe you couldn't run an X1. I don't know. You could have run an X1 then. I see guys run X1s now. Yeah. Uh, And other creative parts of of volleyball. Uh, There isn't enough of that, by the way. There's not enough creativity. Samantha Bricio ran an X1 rather effectively three, four times with SC this past weekend, this past uh, day. And she was gnarly with it. Uh, But it's a difficult thing to find a player who is willing to get so far out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Well, that was another interesting thing he said, too, like
3: somebody like Reed, who's been playing at a high level for so long. Now you're asking him to do some things that are a little bit different. Or Matt Anderson, who's changing his passing technique. When you have your muscle memory for so long, now you're trying to do something different, and you are going to get worse before you get better. And that's a difficult thing, too. It's like I can usually pass decently. Now I'm passing awful, but you fight through that, and then all of a sudden you get better. I think those are difficult things to fight through as well.
2: I've been through it. Yeah. Yeah. With my hitting technique, with my approach, because I was a highball hitter through college onto the national team. Mm-hmm. Then everything in vogue became speed. Yeah. And immediately I got out-competed by John Hyden. Yep. He just he hits a faster ball than me. I, I could not hit a fastball. And it took me and that meaning, years.
3: And that meaning, like, coming from the setter's hand, the ball's coming at you a lot faster. Yeah,
2: like a go. I gotcha. couldn't hit a go. Gotcha. I couldn't hit a go to the last few couple of years of my career. Interesting. And... And part of it was, I don't think anyone really knew how to teach me effectively to hit it. Okay. And I wasn't open to it either. That. There you go. And so I think it was it was from both parties, and it becomes very challenging to teach something new if the person's not open to it. But at the same time, if you can't teach it and get them to have some results, so I struggled for probably a year and a half trying to hit a high ball. I finally. I was hitting faster balls. I finally got it down yeah. playing in Austria. Yeah. I finally started to have some Just success clicked. with it. I could see it. I went out and visited Carl one other year in, in BYU, and he helped me with it a little bit. Yeah, and It's a, a very difficult thing to do to change, as you mentioned, all that muscle memory yeah. of here's how I hit a high ball, and all I hit is high balls, and now I'm going to hit a fastball. And that was the first time I did not see the block. In my career, I did not see the block the last three years. Could never see it. Because you're hitting the high ball and you're looking up and you're not even seeing the block. Yep. Interesting. My opinion was I'll hit it higher than you.
3: <laughs> I will block you, I will hit over you. Right. Because
2: I didn't touch twelve three. I touched eleven seven. Which is still pretty good. But I could hit it all the time. Correct. And that was one of my things, is like George Romain touched twelve two. Yeah. Didn't hit the ball that high all the time. Gotcha. There were times, yeah, yeah. George gets a hold of a ball and nobody's ever gonna touch it. Ever. But he didn't hit it high all the time. Gotcha. And there are lots of guys like that all throughout the world. You look at uh, Leonard Marshall. Mm-hmm. Jumps out of the gym. He might touch twelve six. I don't know. But it's not hitting. Crazy. That, but not hitting it that high. No. And some of it's the setting. Some of it's him. But he doesn't have much of an arm swing. Yeah. He can't do it. Yep. So it, it's a very interesting blend. But to go through making yourself worse to make yourself better incredibly hard. I did it in junior college too, where I had like this baseball arm swing
1: mm-hmm. and I had
2: to develop a uh, volleyball arm swing. Cause yeah. I, I hadn't played much volleyball at that point. Well, I got terrible for a while cause I was like a big lever. Yeah. You're like, what's happening right here? It took so long to yeah. get, <laughs> and I remember I was in junior college and went back and played with my brother's club just for fun. And Gordon Mayforth was the club guy at that point, And he was recruiting me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, oh, I think I have a good idea where you're at after I played one of their practices. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't think you do. I can't even hit the ball right now, yeah <laughs> I haven't figured this out I don't yeah. think you know what I'm really capable of, uh, and I was hitting middle and stuff, and just stupid, but so it's a it's a very challenging thing to be able to teach players and you need the player to be open to change, and you need the coach to really have a concerted plan and the ability to teach well that's the other thing i hear when john talks or talking to furbringer
3: and stuff like that like there is a plan in place or even even hearing reed talk about a little bit like there's a vision and they all see it so it's not like oh what are we gonna do today i don't know let's just go let's try this today like they have a thought process they're like we're gonna go out we're gonna do this we're gonna try this and everybody knows what the plan is whether everybody likes the plan or not i have no idea but like going into it john was telling, okay, we're going to look at a bunch of new guys. We're going to give the older guys a little bit of a rest. Here's the yep. plan. That's what we're doing. Here, here whether is you, a plan. Yeah, whether you want it or not, this is what we're doing, and we're going to go from there. And, you know, I think John surrounded himself with some great people, and uh, hearing the leadership on the team that is taking the role of even helping coach the younger guys when the older guys not getting much playing time is a big deal as
2: well. If you're going to get players to buy into your system, your plan, your modus operandi, you have to tell them what it is. You have to articulate it to them and give them something to buy into, Mm -hmm. not blind faith. And I've seen coaches approach it with blind faith, giving out very little information. I've seen coaches approach it by giving too much information, it it seemed to the players at the time. And that was Doug Beal who gave out very little information most times. Went to Hugh McCutcheon. I remember guys complaining. It's just too much. Like, he's just communicating too much. What are these emails? What are these calls? And, and all this stuff. But it took a while for them to come around to, this is better. Interesting. This is a better way for a coach and a player to, to get along. Hugh was deliberate about articulating a plan. Mm-hmm. Then he had Alan Knife come along, and I still don't know what the plan was. And that was the complaint from, from players, young and old. No one knew what the hell the plan was day to day. It would be articulated one way and then changed. And then, are, then done some other way, and then yeah. articulated another way, and then done some other way. and They never knew what the heck was going on. So if you're going to get people to follow you, you have to make them believe in your plan. You have to make them believe that you are the Lord of Light, <laughs> that that is happening, you know, that the dark is scary and the night is strange,
1: <laughs> and you are the Lord of
2: Light in the way. So you have to articulate that to guys and get them to understand why they should buy into what you're doing. And I I think John is in the process of doing that. And whatever the plan is, good or bad, at least it's there, and the player can make that judgment good, bad, and different for them and for your team and for their team. And they seem to be
3: communicating it really well, and the players are receptive to it.
2: I think so. But even Reed has talked about that it's been an adjustment. Of course. It's been an
3: adjustment. Again, he's been doing it for a certain way for so long. You have a new coach. Things are going to be different. Whether different doesn't necessarily mean bad, it's just right. different. You have to adjust to it.
2: Right. No? Exactly. It's
3: nice to hear John say how well Reed's playing, though.
2: That's always fun. Yeah. Well, maybe he'll uh... show up to the show sometime. Nah. Forget <laughs> it.
3: But thank you. you. Do they have a car yet? I, I don't know. I don't, that even, know. I don't have a car anymore. Did they repossess it? I mean, I know it was the least thing, but it was the way that came across. Like, how do you not have a car?
2: Reed. It's called Uber. <laughs> I it'll, used Uber for the first time. It was ride. awesome. It's good? Yeah. No, it's okay. great. Taxi cab companies trying to sue it out of business. Of course, because taxi cab companies are losing
3: money left and right. Uh, taxi cabs suck. I won't use taxi ever again if Uber is around, just because it was such an easier process than a cab. Now I don't have anything against cabs except for you make me want to throw up in your car every single time I get in it. Yeah. And not because it smells, but because of the way you're driving. It's cramped and it's hot.
2: There's no room. You put in like the security wall, I've got no leg room. Oh, yeah. I don't have leg room. You yeah. definitely don't have leg room. It's so, I stopped taking cabs just because I got so sick of that. Yeah. I was in
3: Miami once. We were going like eight blocks on normal side streets. The cab driver was driving like he was in the Daytona 500. <laughs> and before I lost my mind on the guy, I asked him calmly, I was like, sir, do you have children? He's like, oh, yeah. He had like three or something like that. Yeah. My next question was, do you drive like this with them in the car? He didn't know how to respond to me. Because I was like, "You're please stop." A, I'm gonna throw up in your car. B, I might kill you before you kill me. That's how he was driving, <laughs> and I can't have
2: that. All right, let's end this end this episode. Good show by you today, Kevin. You're you're quiet for most of it. Good well, I just, there.
3: I just let people do their
2: thing today. Congratulations, Kerry to and April, on their victory. Congratulations to Casey and Phil on their second place. We celebrate silver medals here on the Net Live. The new partnership, according to Kevin Barnett. <laughs> the new partnership, the new 2016 partnership. Yep. Uh, John Spraw, thanks very much for coming on. It was great spending 40 minutes with you. We could spend another 40 literally right now. We could do it again. Thanks to Deb and Brandon for their contributions to College Volleyball Weekly. Thanks to ABCA for their support of this show. Congratulations, Utah. Utah. Victory over Cal. Give Beth Lanier. <laughs> Beth Lanier and J.J. J. Riley out there doing a great job. And, yeah, congratulations, Point Break, for... For making a, Still being uh,
3: relevant. Point Break for making an appearance on the show today.
2: I might watch Point Break right now. That's, i just, I got to figure out a way to stream it.
3: Can you uh, picture in picture so you can watch Point Break and play Grand Theft Auto at the same time?
2: Ooh, that would be nice. If only I had time to waste. I will be at Monster Energy Cup twice this week. You can find me in Las Vegas on Thursday and Saturday. Come on out to the Monster Energy Cup. It's a fun race. If you've never been to a motorcycle race and drink. you live near Vegas. that's first out. drink of the show. There you go. Come on out and see this Monster Energy Cup. It's going be a lot of fun out at Sam Boyd Stadium happening on Saturday afternoon. I'll then get back into volleyball. We'll be back next Monday with a program on this show. We'll let you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, what we're doing, who's coming on the program, or or maybe we'll just show up on Monday and wing it all. Who knows? Thanks, everybody, for making it a big show. Thanks for listening via iTunes or whatever way you're getting our program. I'm Kevin. He's Jeremy, and we are done volleyball magazine the only print publication covering all aspects of the sport you love vbm has been publishing the latest in volleyball news for over 35 years with exclusive photo galleries player interviews event coverage product reviews and volleyball specific health and fitness advice volleyball magazine is a great resource for players and fans of all levels Now with an even more robust online presence, check out VolleyballMag.com to subscribe and find exclusive web content and articles. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, Volleyball Mag is the industry's number one volleyball magazine.